This is Defenders TV Podcast episode 155. It's our spoiler-filled discussion of Avengers Infinity War. Welcome back to the movies, fellow Defenders. We are back with our discussion of Avengers Infinity War, the 19th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and this one is huge. I am one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, I am one of your hoary hosts, John. And Renly at the group, grab your popcorn, I am your friendly neighborhood, Chris Jones. Excellent. I love it, guys. This is kind of the culmination of our Summer of Strange and our Summer of Spider-Man podcast, because we do have the two Steve Ditko creations meeting on screen for the first time in this movie. And boy, was that awesome. Oh, yes. Wait, are we using code names right now? Yeah, you can you can call me by uh, my real name, Chris. Okay. It's Dr. John Harrison. Ah, okay. okay. I love it. I love it. Code names only. But we do also call you Dr. Strange, though. Oh, yes, because I'm with movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is our spoiler-filled discussion of Avengers Infinity War. So if you haven't seen it, fellow Defenders, obviously go out and see it. I think everybody in the world has seen this twice now at this stage. Um, yeah, this judging is... by the numbers, I think uh, everyone's seen it Yeah, quite a few times. Definitely. And if you want to subscribe to our podcast, just pop on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com, where we've talked about a bunch of Marvel movies so far. Lots and lots of coverage of the Marvel movies, the Netflix TV shows, the Doctor strange damnation comic book event which we have just finished oh yeah just before uh, starting this recording so if you want to know a bit more about dr strange the comic books you can listen to that as well and a quick mention for those of you who have only or who are only joining us for the avengers infinity war discussion uh, we do have an offer on at the moment for all of our fellow defenders where you can go over to stitcher and get a free month of stitcher premium just go to stitcher.com slash premium and use our code word defenders and you'll get a month free. And why would you want that? Because, well, the first Marvel scripted podcast, Wolverine the Long Night, has nine episodes available of ten over on Stitcher Premium. And it has been fantastic. Yeah, it's been really good. Yeah, and really with, good. And with that code, you'll get to listen to all of it. Yes, and that is open to anyone who goes to stitcher.com forward slash premium uh, up until the middle of September of 2018 this year. Uh, and you can get your free month on Stitcher Premium. And definitely, uh, the, even if it is just for the Marvel podcast, Wolverine the Long Night, it is certainly worth it. And we would highly recommend that you check that Marvel podcast out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait. I have a 12-hour flight from Dublin to San Francisco, uh, and I will be binging my second listen-through of all the episodes, so I'm looking forward to it. Excellent stuff. And one of our favourite defenders, the unbreakable, the bulletproof, the sweet Christmas-loving Luke Cage, season two begins on the 22nd of June this year, 2018, and we'll be back with our weekly podcast covering each episode then so watch out yes who knows we may get a jessica jones crossover who knows we're probably gonna get a heroes for hire it's all up in the air Mm -hmm. it's all gonna be fantastic yeah i really hope we get heroes for hire crossover that will be fantastic and of course we have had our jessica jones season two coverage on marvel netflix as well so please Mm -hmm. head on over and check that out on our podcast feed Kind of hoping that all of the Netflix shows don't end with a crossover with uh, Infinity War, though, given the end of this movie. 
Oh yeah, which one of the defenders <laughs> would survive? <laughs> I'm well, no, it's which two? It's fifty mm-hmm. percent. Yes, but that, that gets true. ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I have one other thing to announce for all our chimichanga loving <laughs> fellow defenders. We will be doing our Deadpool two review uh, after its release on May eighteenth. So look for that the week after. I think it comes out May eighteenth in most countries which is a Friday, so the week after, most likely, we'll have our spoiler-filled review. And yes, there will be lots of chimichangas, lots of Mexican references, lots <laughs> of fourth wall breaking. And do you know what? It made me X-rated. We'll see what we can get around the producer. Yeah, absolutely. Never. Never. Guys, I think it's time to get into our discussion of Avengers Infinity War. I've been dying, dying to talk about this one. Yes, but let's not all die like Thanos has clicked his fingers, of course. Um, Derek, what are some of the movie details? Yes, this movie was directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, the wonderful Russo brothers who brought us Captain America Civil War, Captain America Winter Soldier as well. They almost always work together on their Marvel project, except for one episode of Agent Carter Bridge and Tunnel, episode two, which was directed by Joe Russo. Excellent stuff, yeah. Loved Agent Carter, for sure. And to be honest, Civil War and The Winter Soldier are two of my favourite Marvel MCU movies, for sure. And uh, dare I say it, this is up there as well. Mm -hmm. They certainly have a knack. Absolutely. And they are also bringing us, in the future, potentially, a TV version of the wonderful, wonderful 70s movie, The Warriors, which I cannot wait to see the two of them take on the idea of gangs of New York York going up against each other. They've really proven themselves as some of my favorite directors so far. So really excited to see that. Yeah, I just have this vision of Thanos going, Avengers, come out and play! (laughs) (laughs) Love it, Chris, love it. Uh, This movie was written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Lucky that you like the Captain America movies, John, because uh, they were also the writers for Captain America, First Avenger, Winter Soldier, and Civil War. They also wrote part of Thor to the Dark World. Ooh, yeah, that's a climb down, potentially. Yeah, Thor the Dark World, not as good. I love the fact that they also created um, Agent Carter, the TV show, Mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, from that one shot, again, from her uh, appearance in Captain America, the first Avenger, absolutely fantastic little spin-off show from the MCU really here. Excellent stuff. Well, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Avengers Infinity War? Sure. Iron Man, Steve Rogers, Thor, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Gamora, Spider-Man, the Hulk, and the rest of the Avengers, plus the Guardians of the Galaxy, and the residents of Wakanda must unite to confront their most powerful adversary yet, the Mad Titan Thanos. On a mission to collect all six Infinity Stones, represented by the time, space, reality, power, mind, and soul gems, Thanos aided by the Black Order, plans to use the artifacts to inflict his twisted will on reality. The fate of billions has never been more uncertain, as everything the Avengers have fought for comes down to the battles and sacrifices against Thanos that will determine the existence of life throughout the universe. That's a very concise version of a synopsis for this huge movie, John, but I think you've nailed pretty much what was in it. I think so. I think it's, uh, you know, tough on. Synopses are pretty... Tough to do, really, um, to try and get that in. But I just thought, let's just mention all those names, all those Infinity Gems, and the fact that potentially 
50% of everyone could be wiped out from the face of the universe mm -hmm. with the click of Thanos' fingers. Absolutely. Damn it, you got there before me with that click going. <laughs> As some of you who would listen to us quite often will know, we usually break our uh, kind of reviews into top five points. Uh, but actually, what way we're going to do it for this film is we're going to, rather than point, we're going to split it out by the Infinity Stones, Infinity Gems. So, to kick off point number one, or should I say gem number one, yes. gentlemen, should we talk about the Space Zone, the Tesseract, and how that came together in this film? Oh, yes. Um, the Space Stone, a geographer's absolute dream, covering all space as we know it. Um, really, really enjoyed this. Um, but we should also add in here as well that the Power Stone is actually in his gauntlet at this time where he acquires the Space Stone. Thanos has arrived on the Asgardian refugee ship, as we saw at the end of Thor Ragnarok. And, yeah, the Asgardians are not doing so well. Uh, and neither are the Nova Corps. Yes, the Nova Corps have been decimated. Now, whether that means 50% decimated or 100%, don't know. But I reckon to get that Power Stone, um, the Nova Corps put up a pretty good fight, like they did originally with the Kree coming after them to their homeworld. Mm -hmm. So, really, really interesting here, because the Tesseract hides the space stone within it so it's really going straight back to the first avengers here yeah. with the tesseract with everything the that uh the red skull was after and of course hidden by loki um and yet we get some of our first deaths on here and really meaningful um this was something that i really wasn't expecting at all um with Loki effectively having his throat crushed by Thanos um, after giving up the, the Tesseract uh, and the Space Gem. And plus then Heimdall, his last gasp effort as he saves the Hulk in this instant. None of the others, he's not able to help the others escape. It is just the Hulk here. And whether that's just to do with the Bifrost uh, in the sense that it transports on a linear level, I don't know, but he just manages to save the Hulk here before, again, he himself is effectively killed here. So we have two deaths really quickly in this movie, and you're just, like, going, okay, okay. <laughs> so, like, everything is off the table here. Like, you have no idea. So, so good. Really just mixes it up straight from the start and that is something really really quite classy i thought yeah i think that's really important after after thor ragnarok which we talked about as being kind of the bit of the joke of the marvel cinematic universe it was a very jokey film much more of a comedy than we'd seen even in guardians of the galaxy volume 2 um i think it was kind of important to set the start of this movie with the power of thanos versus thor a god loki another god uh, heimdall who's known to be very heavily powered and obviously hulk all being there in the ship but these are the first people that thanos takes on it's really good idea to have that kind of fight because it sets up thor to be a little less jokey in this film than he was in ragnarok it makes sense as to why he would be take everything a little bit more seriously than he would in uh, in thor ragnarok um but unfortunately it does mean the asgardians have probably the race that have lost more than any other race in the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It really looks like that, definitely, yeah. Like, we do know that there are escape pods on that ship, so we know 
from just some discussions after the movie came out that we know that Valkyrie has survived. She most likely was on an escape pod, um, but we haven't heard much of the other characters that were in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, I presume that Korg, who was played by Taika Waititi, the director of Thor Ragnarok, is most likely going to survive since, well, it's the director's character, so he's probably going to be bringing him back. Well, he's kind of rock anyway, so Mm -hmm. we would expect him to survive the cold of space. Um, But one of the other things is that Thor survives the the cold of space as well. He is sent floating in space as Thanos destroys the the rescue ship here. Mm -hmm. Chris, what did you think of this opening scene? I've been kind of holding my tongue here a bit because the the first bit that John mentioned I want to talk about. um, This is both a stroke of genius and a absolute travesty. Not seeing (laughs) Glenn Close dying. Uh, is something that I'm just hoping was left on a cutting room floor. So the destruction of that Nova Corps, yeah, it brought so much through my imagination. I and I'm literally I can see this massive fight with the Outriders, uh, Thanos's genetically altered kind of minions, which we see later on in the film, mm-hmm. and the Nova Corps flying around. I want to see that, <laughs> but hopefully it's on the cutting room floor. We. But also, at the same point, I'm assuming my brain and my imagination are making it ten times better than potentially could have been. Right. That being said, the this being the opening is both – it sets a beautiful tone for this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's basically all bets are off. What you think will happen in a Marvel film, how, how the first act, second act, third act structure works, all rules are off the table. Yeah, And I think that's a fantastic way to open it. And really what they've done without, I, I, I think, well, I was going to say without knowing, but of course they knew. They have completed the redemption of Loki over all his films. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he really comes back as a hero here. Yeah, and I think that's a terrible and beautiful way to open it, mm-hmm. which is people grew to love him his character has grown deeper and deeper and deeper to the point now in the last one, he was an anti-hero yeah. in Ragnarok. He was an anti-hero. Now he is a hero. He stopped his brother being killed, sacrificed his own life. Um, and it's just fantastic. But it does really lead to me is, Oh my God. If, if that is the end of Loki, as we know it, mm-hmm. yeah. the end of Tom Hiddleston, as we know it. Well, hopefully Tom Hiddleston is still around now. <laughs> right, it's true. Okay. Yeah. The end of Tom Hiddleston in the MCU, right. as we know it. Yes. Uh, will they be replacing it with Lady Loki, like they've done sometimes in the comics? Mm-hmm. Um, is If that is true, that's a fitting end. I wouldn't mind going out like that in a, cin- in a cinema screen. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you have a beautiful opening death. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, just fantastic. Absolutely, and he still is the worst brother in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Though he's he was hiding the Tesseract on board with the remnants of Asgard, the last people left on Asgard, and didn't tell Thor about it at all. So Thor didn't even know this threat was possible that Thanos would actually be following Asgard. He thought everybody was safe on that ship. Uh, that does make him the worst brother ever, even though he does save Thor. I, you know, I'll give him that. Yeah, and I, I love the fact that Loki, you know, as Lord of Tricks and Mischief here, 
you know, he's still playing with Thor. And, you know, Thor has kind of been crushed a bit by by Thanos. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's still kind of saying that he's going to betray him, not going to. And then in the end comes through, as you say, Chris, about this redemption. And I think uh, I think that was a really nice way of doing it, that ultimately he comes through. But you still have your doubts in that lead up until he finally makes that decision, which I thought was uh, really good. And I think uh, I think the other thing here is, you know, we get to see the Black Order for the first time as well, of which, you know, I'm sure we will discuss each members of the Black Order through some of the other gem points that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly for me, I thought this was a a nice little opener, just having the four members of the Black Order um, surrounding Loki as well, just to get your first look at them as they become more important throughout the 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 film as Thanos's kind of henchman going after other stones or at least tracking them down to bring them back to him. One point I did want to just kind of circle back to was the destruction or the decimation of Asgard, the Asgardians, I should say. Yeah, um, I think actually the reason why I was calling it Asgard, if I remember rightly, at the end of Thor Ragnarok, they they said Asgard is now in the people because Asgard itself was destroyed, right? Yes, but the reason I'm interested in that is. There's a storyline in the comics where the refugees, the remains of Asgard, is transported to Earth and is set up on Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm hoping Thor 4 could be around that because that's a very interesting storyline. And it keeps the Asgards connected to the MCU versus floating in space. Yes, absolutely. I really have no idea how it's going to continue after this, but we'll probably talk about it as we get up. This scene does introduce probably the best throwback, I think, with throughout the film, uh, where we do have Loki standing in front of Thanos, giving a throwback to the exact same instruction he was given by Tony Stark when trying to battle the Avengers the first time. We have him saying, but we have a Hulk, Thanos, yes. really confident in himself that he's got the strongest being there ever was and ever is. But um, hmm, Hulk doesn't seem to fare too well against the the Mad Titan. Yeah, this is this was my question because as the Hulk is attacked more and more, the stronger he gets, the angrier he gets, the stronger he gets. And you know, you have here the Black Order saying he's playing with him, and he does. Thanos beats the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Is that just because he's a Mad Titan? Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the Hulk. I'm not entirely fully in on, say, all of his lore um, as such. But um, for me, I thought this was really weird. And I think it played out slightly weirdly throughout the rest of the um, of the movie. Right. Because um, he is beaten hands down by Thanos here. Yeah. He is actually knocked out. Uh, before he is um, saved by the Bifrost yeah. uh, from Heimdall. And then, of course, you do get throughout the whole rest of the film, primarily, um, Banner really struggling to release um, the Hulk, for the Hulk to consume him. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas we've come from Thor Ragnarok, uh, where the Hulk has almost taken over the personality, and it's a struggle getting Banner out. And I know that that can move between you know the hulk being dominant or banner being dominant depending on the type of story arc you get but that was something that kind of slightly threw me uh mm-hmm. in the movie was seeing the hulk um sort of slightly timid actually i thought this was a real 
great moment for the Hulk to come full force um, against Thanos. Yeah. Uh, but that was a choice that was made, and it was kind of interesting. I'd love to, to know your thoughts as well. Well, I suppose I don't think it's been established in the MCU, the cinematic universe, that Hulk gets stronger the more he's hit so the more he's attacked. We see that he's kind, he's pretty much invincible when he is the Hulk, but we don't see that thing that we see in the comic books where he gets bigger, stronger, more angry, the more angry he gets. So I'm not sure whether that's ever been established. It's definitely a comic book thing. Don't get me wrong. Definitely. So, uh, so in this case, I think it's because hell, Thanos is a big, big guy, a very, very strong guy. And he's just using his fist to punch, to punch Hulk. It's just proof of how strong Thanos is. And, and yeah. your other piece, I was getting to the end of the film feeling that that the Hulk was actually scared because this is the first time he's been really beaten. So and he doesn't know what to do. That's kind of all he has is his strength. And he knows if he pummels things, he beats them. That's kind of how confident the Hulk always has been in these movies. So is that the point? Is that is that the moment that we're seeing him scared inside Banner going, I'm not coming out because if I come out, then you're just going to make me fight that Thanos guy again and I can't beat him. You know? Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's really good to, to know because I, I, it's something that I was thinking, doesn't the Hulk get angrier and stronger the mm-hmm. more he's kind of beaten down? And, but yeah, I mean, ultimately he was knocked out. So maybe, yeah, this is, uh, this is a good use of the Hulk. My thoughts are a conjunction of the two of yours very much in that, um, I think there's stage fright, there's performance anxiety, if you want to call it that way, <laughs> yeah, uh, with the Hulk now uh-huh. based on, he got his ass handed to him yeah. by Thanos. And I think an element of that was the fight's over in less than 60 seconds. Yeah, probably. Uh, like, it, it's a quick one. And the assumption is, as the battle goes on, as the Hulk gets anger, if it's the same in the MCU, then he becomes stronger and stuff. He, he's, his ass is handed to him very quickly. Mm-hmm. There's a, an element of just, it's done. So I think there's also a part there where the Hulk is taken off kilter. He's taken yeah. by surprise. Yeah. And I think that's it. I love that they're doing this now. Mm-hmm. I like, And we can talk more about it at whatever point. But the Hulk having that performance anxiety. Yeah. Because everyone kind of goes, oh, sure, if you have a Hulk, he could, that, that wins the battle. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you, Chris. Like, I like the fact that you see this vulnerability to the Hulk. And it's not just simply that Banner is Hulk's vulnerability, but that it is there's a vulnerability within the Hulk as well. Because um, I I really like the Hulk as a character. But one of those things is that it's like Doctor Strange as well, where, you know, this all powerful where he just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Well, then you know, it's that idea. You send five nuclear warheads at him and he just gets better and stronger. You send a Titan at him like Thanos and he will be able to overcome that eventually. It's that kind of uh, exponential rise in his power Mm. from him being angry. And sometimes that can just distract. So, I mean, I like this idea that he has performance anxiety. I I like that they streamlined it, definitely. I like the idea that they've decided that this is not something they're going to do in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that... Thanos can beat him with his fist. That's that. That's yeah, kind of absolutely. You take your biggest character who beats things up with fists, and you just change it. But as we are a Defenders TV podcast, a fantastic reference jumps right out at me from the screen. The first ever Defenders were Doctor Strange, the Hulk, Silver Surfer, and Namor the Submariner. 
And one of the first introductions to the Defenders was Silver Surfer crashing to Earth in Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum to uh, warn him of an impending threat coming in. So we have Bruce Banner taking the Bifrost into the Sanctum Sanctorum and warning Doctor Strange of the impending arrival of Thanos. What a great reference to the comic books. Definitely. Uh, without a shadow of a doubt, um, such a good reference to the Defenders and, and also to that's one of the original members of the Defenders because the, you know, the Defenders have been a much more fluid grouping than the Avengers. Um, but that original, um, coupling of the Hulk and Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. as well as Silver Surfer and Namor, the Submariner, um, you know, really excellent little Easter egg there, I think, um, to see that and a really good, that depiction of Bruce Banner there lying uh, on the destroyed staircase, uh, very reminiscent of, of the panels within that comic book, showing the Silver Surfer in, in a same position. Mm-hmm. And that's the perfect lead into our second stone, our second infinity gem. Point two, the Time Stone or the Eye of Agmato in New York. So we have Doctor Strange being warned, obviously, about the impending arrival of Thanos because he's coming to Earth to collect at least two of the... Uh, Stones, the gems for his Infinity Gauntlet. One of them is held around the neck of Doctor Strange. But we get our moment where Doctor Strange has to go for help to Tony Stark. Yes. Um, this is so cool. In, it really is. In this movie, some of the things that have just happened where you have characters working together for the first time that shouldn't be, that are diametrically opposed or are so different to each other. In the comic books, we do have Tony Stark and Stephen Strange working together quite a lot. But the big thing is one's science and one's magic. So it's really interesting to see these two characters on screen. Yeah, I really enjoyed these two coming together. Um, I kind of loved the suspicion. I loved the, the, the quips between the two of them. I, I thought it really uh, lent the idea to, you know, there is more that is in common with Tony and Doctor Strange than separates them, even though uh, Tony would think that, you know, on the one hand, he represents science. And on the other hand, Dr. Strange, Stephen Strange represents magic. However, he comes from science. He still looks at order, meaning and so on in the same way, mm-hmm. uh, just from a different perspective. Um, and I, I really absolutely enjoyed this. Yeah, I, I love this. I know so many of our fellow defenders mm-hmm. and even us uh, or I should say, was almost hoping for a facial hair bros uh, <laughs> kind of discussion, but they, they, they say they were from the obvious uh, jokes. Um, the introduction of Wong and Stephen Strange in this was fantastic. Mm-hmm. The banter between those two characters, it still, it still feels right, mm-hmm. even after that film, uh, in this kind of, again, slightly more seriously toned film that we know after coming out of what we just came out of from space. Um, I also love the, again, the interaction with Tony and Pepper. So they, the one thing I want to say about this film, and it was a, it was a concern of many people's, um, including myself, which is when you throw together, when you heard the cast list, Mm -hmm. when you heard how many characters are going to be in this, there was always this, trepidation not fear trepidation on my side trepidation how are you going to give enough time to each character to build on 
build on their character in their relationships. And the Russo brothers did it well. Oh, yeah. Like, just from that three-minute scene, less uh, between Pepper Potts and Tony, we get an update on their on their living situation. We get an update on how they are preparing, what they're doing. And it felt real. It didn't feel forced as a kind of like, oh, and here's an update of what they've been up to in the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. It was a nice, lovely interaction where you could see the two in the running. And yeah, that was great. And then you suddenly get that, uh, you get Doctor Strange just kind of warping in with his ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and they blended this, oh my God, we need to go now, with a, just a small quip of, and congratulations on your nuptials. Exactly. Yes, we find out here that at uh, the end of Spider-Man Homecoming was that Pepper couldn't think of anything better to say at the uh, press conference than we got engaged. Uh, so it does tie back into Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, yeah. And that perfectly leads me on to the next scene we get there, where is we get the rundown between Tony, Banner, Strange and Wong about the upcoming attack uh, we, we always saw Tony sitting down which that scene we he was it, they made it look like he was a different scene that's one thing I loved the trailers perfectly misled us mm-hmm. on a lot of these scenes a lot of them were trailer trickery but I actually really enjoyed that scene where we see the hesitation of Tony he tells Banner about he doesn't actually outright tell Banner that C- Civil War happened. He kind, of, he kind of goes, we had falling out, we don't yep. really talk, blah, 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 blah. It was really interesting. I liked that. The most important piece we get was the level of protection that Strange feels against or for the Eye of Ag- mm-hmm. Um, In terms of, like, I'm not giving it up, we're not going to do that. And then we get the, this conflict between everyone. Absolutely, Chris. And it's a very specific line that I think will probably come into play later. I think he says, if the choice is down to you, Tony Stark, or the Eye of Agmato, I'm choosing the Eye of Agmato every single time, which will definitely come into play towards the end of the film. Uh, It's quite an important line, I think, because the choice is there and he gives up the eye. So, um, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, it it does play in this point because ultimately what happens is, and this is really where this this moment means so much is for for later on because mm-hmm. Doctor Strange gives Thanos the time gem willingly mm-hmm. ultimately yes there is a battle beforehand yes they try and uh, prevent it but in that moment on Titan where they go to stop Thanos he has seen what 14 million possibilities for how this war will play out of which there is only one in which um the avengers win and of course you have this complete contrast between very early on in the movie where as you say wong and dr strange say they will do whatever it takes to protect this gem this infinity gem to the point of effectively sacrificing all the Avengers, and in particular, they call out then Tony Stark. So this is um, like this is a massive change in, in in what happens from very early on in the movie, and what the intention of Wong and Strange would be to ultimately what happens then on the destroyed world of Titan. 
were, yes, they are absolutely trying to get that um, Infinity Gauntlet off Thanos to try and remove that power that he will potentially possess. But in the end, when it comes to the choice word, Tony Stark is about to be taken down, taken out by Thanos. Doctor Strange trades Tony Stark's life for the time gen, Mm -hmm. even though that was absolutely off the table at the start of this movie. Uh, And I mean, for me, where he says we're in the end game now um, has to be one of the most important lines of of the movie, because uh, is, is this where they're setting a path where it moves down that one chance that they have to prevent Thanos from winning? Despite what happens, you know, obviously, as we'll come to discuss towards the end of the movie. Um, so th- this is massively important. I think as well, there's some great moments here with, uh, Spider-Man, Tony Stark, there's Drax, there's, um, Doctor Strange, there's Mantis, all trying to get that Infinity Gauntlet off Thanos. I absolutely loved it. I mean, in particular for me, from Doctor Strange anyway, that you you have that moment where he uses the Crimson Bands of Satorak um, to hold uh, Thanos in place. You know, it's a real powerful uh, weapon that he has to to do that. And then, of course, um, you have that moment where he tries to confuse him with the images of Icon, where he effectively duplicates himself uh, multiple times. I was even wondering, though, whether, you know, was the Doctor Strange that is actually there remaining that gives him the time gem, some kind of alternate Doctor Strange that he's done something... I doubt it, but mm-hmm. uh, that was something that flew into my mind along with a whole range of other different things that could be happening with this because such a great fight between all these characters and Thanos um, to try and get that Infinity Gauntlet off off his mitts. Yeah, it was really cool to see those. Those are two powers that Doctor Strange has in the comic books, aren't they, John? Yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool to see him as heavily powered as he is in this film. Like, it's... It- we saw him obviously in Doctor Strange. We saw him in Thor Ragnarok, but he didn't seem as powerful. He's learned a lot since the end of Doctor Strange to where he is now in Infinity War. He is definitely one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'd say Scarlet Witch is probably a little bit more powerful. Even by the end of this film, you see how powerful she is and how strong she is in the things that she can do. So, you know, it's kind of cool seeing that they've powered up. Doctor Strange, I thought they were going to take him off the table really early or do something to him that he wasn't going to be able to use his magic. But in here we see, for example, as you say, John, he's seen 14 million different possibilities of the future of these battles and seen one way to survive. That's a hugely powerful ability, even if it's only one in 14 million. Well, if he follows that path, the other 14 million don't matter, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, one of the interesting things I thought, I don't know whether it was just purely stylistic or not, but when the butterflies go towards Thanos on Titan, mm-hmm. um, where Th- Thanos is sending a load of stuff at Doctor Strange who kind of changes him to, to butterflies. I was like going, what does this mean? It, it, you know, is it something symbolic? Is it just a, a choice made in, in what he turns them into? Um, I thought it was really in- intriguing to see all these butterflies. It's like the bubbles from, from the guns as well with the reality gem, mm-hmm. uh, all that being changed. So it was really, really cool. One of my favorites, and I'm kind of going to take us back a bit 
um, which is the, the, the first fight in Harlem mm-hmm. that we get in New York. I have to say, it was brilliant. Again, seeing Peter jump out and do out of the school bus uh, was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then this mini fight, and I, I'm calling it mini in comparison to the rest of the film, mm-hmm. between Colossidian and Ebony Mall, Doctor Strange, Wong... Um, uh, we see the bleeding edge armor on Tony Stark for the first time. Yeah. Oh, what's that? So the bleeding edge armor is one of the coolest armors that in the comic books, in my opinion, that Tony Stark has. Mm-hmm. And that's one that it's all nanotechnology and nanobots that form his Iron Man suit. Cool. It allows him to mold it into anything he thinks of and wants. We see that in this battle. Mm-hmm. The, the call out is that what we all assumed was in kind of early the trailers and things in the arc reactor in his chest isn't actually an arc reactor. It houses these nanobots for him um, that become his armor. Very cool. Yeah, right. he says that they're a choice, doesn't he? Or he says that the the arc reactor when he's there with Pepper Potts uh, in the park before Doctor Strange comes to 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 bring him to Banner uh, for Banner to explain he. She she mentions that and says, um, you know, why are you wearing that? And he does say that it is a choice. Yeah. You know? Well, if you've got a big hole in the middle of your cool. chest, you've got to put something in there. You know, it's either going to be your keys or your watch or something like that, or your wallet. <laughs> or sure, why not have some nanobots in there yeah. instead? No, that was very cool. The the kind of fluid uh, nano armor, definitely. It felt really like the armor from Black Panther, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. I and mean, you would probably assume at some point when these guys meet, there's going to be a science off. Oh, absolutely! I, I think I can't wait. Yeah, there was there was a moment with Shuri, which we'll probably talk about later on in the in the movie, where she does mention, "Why did you guys do it this way?" Oh, if I was there, yeah. I would have done it so much better than you. Which is absolutely true. She could make Mark one hundred and forty two of the Iron Man armor much better than every single armor that Tony's ever come up with. So, uh, a nice little moment there that he, that he is also coming up with Thanatech. Yeah, I mean, one of the other things as well on, on this battle scene is. Um, I, I really liked Ebony Moore. Um, I'm really, yeah. yeah, I'm really disappointed that he's died, actually, that he's kind of been, or we think he's dead, um, that, you know, he's been sucked out there, um, like in Aliens and, and as Spider-Man was referencing, uh, into deep space. Mm-hmm. You see him freezing up, but I really enjoyed Ebony Moore, uh, confronting Tony and Doctor Strange. Uh, and Wong, he was just so cool. He seemed to so easily uh, defend against their attacks. I love that moment where he just slices the car in half as it's hurtling towards him. Uh, so so good. Um, and and then obviously he is the one that um torturing Doctor Strange in order to get the the time stone before he's rescued by um Tony. And, and Spider-Man. And of course, Spider-Man gets his own new suit, uh, as well. One that can operate in, in the vacuum of space or at least very low oxygen levels, but, uh, a really great new introduction to the Spider-Man suit as well. Yes, this was fantastic. We saw this armor at the end of Homecoming. This is the Iron Spider, um, Spider-Man armor created by Tony Stark. Um, it's a riff on, the Civil War armor called the Iron Spider armor as well from the comic books. Um, and the best part is the 
extendable arms, the legs oh, yeah. that come out of it. I, lo- I love this. I loved it enveloping Peter. You see him fall and then the, the catch. And again, we see a very naive Parker in this. He goes, oh, I just got a shiny new toy. I'm going to use it to save the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was just, I, I can't tell you, there's so much to love about this film and just, I'm going, yeah, I love that part. And then I love that, like the scene where we see Spider-Man rocketing off into space with Iron Man flying after him. And he asks, uh, Girl Friday to basically change his, give him something to get him up there. And that scene where we see is her enveloping and becoming a booster rocket. I was like, ah, just amazing. And the fun part about Ebony Maw and being disposed of as we saw it was the great callback to civil war where he's talking about films and he goes, Oh, have you seen this old film called aliens? It's a trick I learned. That was just a great callback to the, the empire strikes back reference in uh, Civil War. Exactly. I thought it was just really funny. Especially with a lot of people calling this the Empire Strikes Back of the MCU. So it's uh, nice that they're referencing that again as well. Not sure whether Peter's old enough to have seen Aliens, though. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but we all watched it back then as well. And my only slight ding so far as we're going through uh, Infinity War, my only slight ding of the movie is that it's very difficult to pick out who the Black Order are if you if you haven't seen them in the comic books. Uh, Jonathan Hickman's run for Infinity yeah. is absolutely brilliant. That's where they really are introduced and are kind of fleshed out quite a lot. If you have any questions about who they are, go back and read Infinity. It's an excellent, excellent comic book. I love Hickman. He took on some brilliant work for uh, uh, shield for uh, secret warriors did some really really good books and his work on on infinity is absolutely well worth a read but it is a real pity because as you say john ebony maul is probably one of the standout new characters that we Definitely. see in this movie he's really really interesting i love how powerful he is in that battle and in harlem wondering where luke cage was but hey doesn't have to be there but um but i did really enjoy the the fact that how powerful he is and that Someone like Spider-Man, Peter Parker, comes up with a plan to get rid of him when it wasn't Doctor Strange or Tony Stark who think they're kind of all-powerful and all-knowing. It's actually Peter Parker going, why don't you just push a hole in the side of the ship like I saw in that movie? And it works. Yeah. Know? No, I mean, I I completely agree with you. I think in terms of the, the Black Order, Ebony Moore was the one that stood out for me. His powers are slightly different from uh, Hickman's Infinity Run. Mm. Uh, what is it? Five years ago now, maybe. Um, and, you know, there's a fabulous moment, um, in the comics where Ebony Moore, because in, in the comics, his abilities are effectively being able to sweet talk you. He has mm-hmm. the power of persuasion, um, over other people through his dulcet tones, uh, dare I say it. And of course, um, he persuades Doctor Strange to work for Thanos uh, within that that comic run, or at least to effectively um, unknowingly, of course. But um, and here he ha- has slightly more magical and, and mystical abilities, or he's at least able to manipulate reality um, and, and slice and dice uh, cars and what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that moment from the infinity comics by hickman is certainly replicated here um with ebony moore torturing uh dr strange mm-hmm. it's just in the comics it's more persuasion yes. rather than out 
outright torture. Yeah, and yeah. one tiny touch that I absolutely loved was as Ebony Maul is standing in the middle of the street and Cull Obsidian is sent flying back towards him. He just throws him out of the way into a car. He doesn't even try and save him, even though the power could be just to stop him and put him on the ground. He just throws him out of the way casually. He doesn't really care about the other members of the team of the Black Order. He just has that power, and he seems to be kind of the acolyte of Thanos. More than everybody else, he seems to be his right-hand man. So um, so a bit, a bit sad that they got rid of him that early in the movie or in this two-movie franchise part of, of, of the MCU. Yeah, I, terrible that we lost him, but I was expecting when we saw the ice crystals form over, we would get a uh, Last Jedi-like moment mm-hmm. where we see him fly through space. Um, I think that would have pissed off a lot of people because <laughs> we know that scene in the last jedi did well but, uh, maybe it did but i'm not sure whether disney would be able to use that for multiple films within the same year probably not a great <laughs> idea but it doesn't mean that Ebony Maw is dead uh, obviously nothing means that anybody's dead in these movies uh, as we go uh, and as we saw thor was able to do that as you, as you mentioned john but speaking of team-ups there's another great team-up with these characters when tony stark and spider-man and Doctor Strange arrive on Titan when they meet up with half of the Guardians of the Galaxy and believe that they are working for Thanos because they've arrived on his planet. And the Guardians believe that Strange and Parker and Tony Stark are working for Thanos. So there's wonderful, as always, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, your first meeting with other characters means you beat the hell out of them if you can and then ask questions afterwards. A nice little throwback. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I have to say... Even though I saw the scene in the trailers that, that when they're deciding upon the plan mm-hmm. and we have Star-Lord, Drax, we have uh, the whole team there, including Doctor Strange, that interaction with Star-Lord is still as funny, if not funnier. Yes. Yeah. Just the arrogance. It's not even arrogance. It's showmanship. It, well, it's like the arrogance as well, I suppose. Mm-hmm. My, well, that's a really good plan, but it sucks. My plan's going to be better. Yeah. I love these interactions. Mm-hmm. We've been reading these interactions for years in the comic books. Yeah. And we've had different writers' takes uh, on their on their friendships, different writers' takes on the, 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 the witty banter mm-hmm. that they have, the quips. This, this was like every single one of them combined. Like, they took the best parts of a lot of different runs, yeah. a lot of different relationships. I agree with you, Chris. It's really important to you. You've got the captain of the Guardians of the Galaxy, the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy, speaking to the leader of the Avengers, or one of the two leaders of the Avengers, if you believe Captain America is the leader, which he is. Um, so you have to have that moment between the two of them where one is not going to follow the other's lead, no matter which way, which way around it is. Tony's not going to follow Peter Quill's lead, and Peter Quill's not going to follow Tony Stark's lead. So you have to have that moment between the two of them going, well, actually, whatever you think about your plan, my one would be better because I've led a team in the past, you know? Uh, It does work out really well and works really well in the scene to make sure that you do keep a distinct identity for the Guardians when they're joining up with the Avengers who they've never met before in the same way as having Doctor Strange not following the lead of Tony Stark. This is the first time he's been introduced to Tony Stark. He's not a member of the Avengers. He doesn't work for him. He doesn't have to follow his lead. So you do have to have these sparring moments, and it works really well, I think, to keep the identity of the characters throughout the film. A really good job by them. Yeah, no, and before we move on to our kind of the next stones, which I want to kind of do now, I just want to tell everyone how appreciative I was of that action scene that John described earlier where they're trying to get the gauntlet and the, the fruition of that plan. Mm-hmm. Seeing uh, the one, two, three, four, five punch scene 
where they each do a different thing and they eat the, it's like my turn now your turn and you see Spider-Man and just oh it was just beautiful it was a comic book come to life mm-hmm. yeah it was so good seeing um, that half of the Guardians uh, helping out Tony uh, Stephen Strange uh, and, and Spider-Man and of course the other half have gone off to Nidavelli um, where we will obviously come back to that. That's Thor, Rocket, and Groot that have gone off there in order to create a special Easter egg. Yes, Rocket Rabbit. Rocket Rabbit. Love it. Let's get on to point number three. Uh, the reality and soul stones in this particular point. Um, the reality, which was the ether. Really cool to see how this plays out. We have Gamara and the Guardians going off to nowhere, which was where Collector had his place where the Asgardians left the ether back in Thor the Dark World. Um, so really interesting that Thanos already has the reality stone and leaves behind a vision of what Gamora wants to see effectively. He leaves behind this vision that that he's she's arrived at right time, that the collector's still alive, that the place isn't decimated. She has the opportunity to stab Thanos and does, and then he reveals that he's already using the reality stone and the collector is gone, right? We have that moment as he waves goodbye to uh, to Gamara from inside his tube uh, on in his uh, in his collector's place. So, um, quite an interesting one. It's it's a nice way to to reveal that the that the reality stone has been taken. It's kind of different than when the power stone was just dropped in a line of dialogue earlier on, where we just hear that he's taken it and Novacor is decimated. Just seeing that moment where. It's been decimated right in front of them, where nowhere has been decimated in order to take this. And it kind of shows the power of the reality gem as well. Yeah, I, this was really good. I thought it how the reality gem could be used um, was so much better than um, Thor The Dark World, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I love that moment. Uh, I, even then, you get Thanos using the reality gem against Drax and Mantis as well, which really comes from um, the... Uh, original infinity comics from right. the 80s as well uh where you get drax cubed up and you get in you know, a mantis uh almost like string uh really really cool and of course here is the moment that you know that relationship between star lord and gamora really comes out and of course shapes that battle on titan uh between dr strange uh, and Tony and, and Thanos, because then Star Lord effectively loses them that particular battle where they were inches away from getting the glove off his hand, the yeah. the the gauntlet, and and his knowledge there and then as to what's happened to Gamora, mm-hmm. which we're gonna obviously talk about, uh, really affects um, Star Lord and. Uh, the future to come and that was just really good um i thought because you know we know that these two are a, a couple from guardians of the galaxy volume mm-hmm. two we know their kind of uh their feelings but here you know these feelings have absolutely universal consequences it's really really cool to to see uh that happen and of course the soul stone is something that we haven't seen before but it is something that gamora does know about and and this is a really nice moment uh between gamora thanos as well as nebula as well i think here that um thanos kind of knows gamora knows he knows that she's been lying he knows 
that he has to trap her mm-hmm. uh, and persuade her to tell him where the soul stone is uh, and that moment of seeing uh, nebula being tortured by thanos being sort of disassembled in a way that um you know love that move of the camera where she looks like she's whole and they just move to the side and all her like face plates are kind of staggered out and she's being completely disassembled suspended in uh one of the chambers of thanos's ship yeah, it was like the Damien Hirst sculptures, doesn't it? That kind of modern art where they're, where the cow is cut in multiple yeah, pieces. Yeah. So when you look at it from the front, it looks like a cow. And when you look at it from the side, it's separated out into, into multiple pieces. It's beautiful. We didn't get to see this in 3D. And I think that scene would have actually worked really well in 3D. And it also harks back to, again, the 1980s Infinity comic book as well, where Thanos takes a great deal of pleasure from torturing Nebula. Um, it's really, uh, it, it's done differently, but again, I think it, it's a really interesting connection back to the comics here. And of course, ultimately leads Gamora to, to giving up her knowledge that she has tried to suppress you know, we have that moment with um, Star-Lord where she says, if he captures me, you have to kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know something that he doesn't. And of course, ultimately, Star-Lord doesn't kill her uh, there on nowhere when he has the chance. And again, it's just really nicely played out between these two characters. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things, you know, for me, so many characters here, but they all have such great, moments it's like when spider-man is told that he is now an avenger oh you that's know, a great moment yeah, really yeah. really cool uh, and and tom holland just i think encapsulates what that would mean to someone who was in his position uh, as peter parker he's perfect. really really good yeah, he's absolutely perfect in that scene and just to mention um if you listen to our guardians of the galaxy volume 2 review you know that my my thoughts on the gamara and peter quill relationship back then i thought it was really poorly handled i thought the idea of having the two major characters, your male male star and your female star, have to get together. I thought it was a really poor choice to push them together in that. I love the fact that they are together in this film because it actually gives Gamara a lot more to do in this film. I actually think her arc in this movie is fantastic. It's great to see her going out and going after Thanos on her own. I love the idea that she wants to take him on. She's the daughter of Thanos that wants to punish him for everything that he's done. And then we find out that there is actually a bit of a quite a significant loving relationship between the two of them, or at least she is the only thing that Thanos cares about in the entire universe, which I just think adds so much to Gamora's arc and Gamora's storyline. Yeah. When I was watching this, there was actually an audible gasp and I kind of, but what the gasp wasn't for me, but the, uh, I didn't even clutch my pearls in that, Basically, when you heard Thanos' voice in Nowhere for that first time, mm-hmm. it clicked with me. Just fantastic, that mm-hmm. whole thing. And uh, an actual direct pull of some form of the uh, the Affinity War piece, the original comic, where we see Drax and Mantis being um, warped. Mm-hmm. That's actually a pull from the comic books as well. Not their characters, but it's a pull from the what Thanos can do, and he yeah. does do that to characters in the comic books. Yeah. Um, the It killed me when Peter pulled the trigger and the bubbles came out. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they, they played it so well. And 
You're right there. They Okay, well let's be blunt. As you said, the original in setup of Guardian Galaxy Volume Two, the, the setup of their relationship was not perfect. In this, it was. Mm-hmm. In that seeing her ask Peter to kill him, seeing her ask Peter to kill her multiple times to end her life and getting her promise and then going, you promised me, you promised me. Yeah. That type of thing is to a degree heartbreaking. Absolutely. Uh, just beautiful. Yeah. And then getting, moving to where it happens next, where we see the Nebula, Gamora, Thanos scene, just the tears rolling down, seeing Nebula being that disassembled state. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't expect this. And again, this is a kid's film. It's a 12R, depending on where you are, but it's on average is a teen, probably slightly younger, uh, depending on what country you are and your uh, classifications. That's pretty dark. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we knew they were holding back no punches from the for opening scenes, mm-hmm. but this kind of brings it to a new level. Yeah, yeah. I think Marvel have always kind of lived on that idea of if they don't show blood, they can pretty much show any emotion that they want to. So so they do make this as serious as you possibly can. It is interesting that, as we mentioned earlier on, I won't keep mentioning it, but as we mentioned earlier on, that a lot of people are comparing this to Empire Strikes Back Darkness. And that was a universal film by the time it eventually came out on home video viewing. This is quite a violent film or quite a, a lot of deaths happen in this film, let's say, but it's not that violent of a film. It's not like daredevil for example um this is something that you can show to your kids and they will ball their eyes out at points i know a lot of people yeah. going to this going to the cinema for certain characters that didn't make it to the end of the film so um yeah i, I would say there's going to be quite a serious reaction uh, from a lot of people but let's move on to the soul stone because this is probably the biggest point of speculation that all of us nerdy podcasters that have been talking about these movies for years have been talking about where <laughs> where could the soul stone possibly be and every single one of us was wrong and what makes it fascinating and fantastic is they did a brilliant job of bringing back a character that we all saw go into space back in captain america the first adventure definitely we believed that character was dead the prelude comic uh actually confirmed that he was transported somewhere no, we saw him in the movie being transported into space after he had the test racked. You are a smarter man than most people, then. No, not smarter. Not smarter. I just absolutely adore Captain America, so I've seen that movie a hundred times. <laughs> okay, so I thought that character was kaput. Mm. I thought that was a destruction versus a transport. Ah, um, right. I have always thought that way. Right. Um so the, the return of this character was a huge surprise to me. Yeah, I think part of the surprise comes from that we heard Hugo Weaving wasn't going to return to the part ever. He wasn't going to work in the Marvel Cinematic Universe again. So the actor playing Red Skull is different. Uh, we don't have Hugo Weaving back. We have Ross Marcand, who's an actor from uh, The Walking Dead. You may have, if you don't watch him on The Walking Dead, you may have seen his fantastic impressions that yeah. he's done on YouTube, uh, which are absolutely hilarious. Go check them out. Uh, he definitely does a really good impression of the Red Skull. And hey, it's a great way to bring the character back. We probably won't see him again. He is the stone stone keeper 
of the Soul Stone sitting on a planet on his own, something that he can't actually get because, hey, Red Skull has nobody there to murder, to be able to sacrifice to get the Soul Stone. So kind of a horrible ending for Red Skull, but hey, he was the leader of Hydra and the leader of the original Nazis back in uh, Captain America's time. Yeah, I mean... To me, this was a complete surprise seeing the Red Skull come back um, here as the, the stonekeeper of the Soul Stone. Um, like Chris, absolutely, that was a complete shocker to me. Um, however, like you, Derek, I did think that he had been transported somewhere from the Tesseract back in the first Avengers. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't expecting him to show up here. Um, it could have been that he was transported to his death. But it was great to have him back here. It was a real surprise. I mean, to begin with, uh, just seeing the black robes, I thought this was the moment where you were getting death. Right. Obviously, as um, the keeper of the Soul Stone, mm-hmm. um, I thought this was going to be death. And obviously, that again ties in with um, the the comics and, and with Thanos, who has this obsession with death. And in fact, her, yeah. Absolute love uh, with with death, and and is why he's collecting the Infinity Stones uh, uh, as well. You mm-hmm. know, to show his undying devotion to to her. Uh, so this is really really cool. But to me, you know, and I have to bring this in. Uh, it shows an amazing element between Gamora and Thanos. And I mean, I've said in the past. I've just not connected with Thanos at mm-hmm. all from the post-credit scenes. Thanos is fantastic. I hold my hands up here now. All those other podcasts where I was like, going, "Oh, I'm not really interested." I, Grant, that was my thought at the time. Yeah. But here, um, you know, Josh Brolin through the power of motion capture, through the power of the the writing and the script, you have a absolutely fantastic multi-layered villain and i think it is encapsulated in this moment between thanos and gamora he is sad about what he has to do to his daughter or stepdaughter and it ultimately shows that gamora doesn't understand her stepdad as well you know that the person who you see as being good um has these preconceived notions about who thanos is Mm -hmm. but he's pure evil uh, and ultimately, it's to her shock that he is devastated that in order to get the Soul Stone, he now has to um, destroy uh, and kill the person he's always cared for, loved, tried to bring up like him, and she is now the block to the Soul Stone if he doesn't throw off that cliff. Yeah. And in a sense, the, the turmoil... And the conflict that is happening in Thanos and how that's captured, I just thought it was amazing. I really, really thought it was great. Some of the best stuff from an emotional perspective that I think Marvel have done, to be honest. And and it, it really just shows the complexity of Thanos as a character. So to me, this was fantastic yeah. uh, and i really enjoyed it and i thought you know given that we've not seen the soul gem uh before that this was like a really just top quality way of introducing this and what thanos has to do to get it which is to kill one of the persons sacrificer um gamora who 
he cares actually really deeply for, which you see from the backstory as well, to some extent, Mm -hmm. you know, training her with the knives. Okay. It's slightly twisted love uh, and so on, but nonetheless, that's what he knows. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, really great seeing that backstory because it adds so much emotional weight to then what he has to do, you know, in, in killing half her planet, he forms this, bond with a stepdaughter that he has taken yeah. and you can understand Gamora's reasoning for absolutely loathing her stepdad in terms of what he did to her in that moment what he's tried to make her become but that doesn't mean that he doesn't love her any less yeah and so that conflict that plays out there at this altar of the soul stone is really just so cool I think and, yeah. and I think uh, Gamora and, and Thanos it's just played so well by the two actors absolutely yeah and Thanos I love how he's treated in this film exactly as you say John there's so many good moments from him in the film but I love how Marvel are tackling something that is a real belief of a lot of people this idea of population control to save the world this idea that we are going to become overpopulated in however many centuries so if we don't do something about it now we will just be overpopulated. So that's effectively Thanos' idea. He's he's saying that the world needs to be culled by half so that they can thrive. That's his concept. That's his motivation. He's not there to kill half of the universe. He's there to cull half of the universe so the rest thrive and survive. So he is almost relatable. Once again, Marvel have done it. That's two, three movies in a row now that we've had a villain that has a concept that we've seen on Earth here talking about making sure that we don't get a, an explosion in population, an explosion in the world. We have this character that's willing to take, as he says, the difficult steps that need to be taken to preserve the universe. And that's his concept. That's his idea. He's not just the crazy titan from the comic that wants to kill everybody. So uh, really nice choices here. And yeah, these scenes with Gamora and, and Thanos are probably the best we've seen uh, on screen. I actually slightly got choked up. And I know that sounds mm-hmm. quite silly. Yeah, I yeah. wasn't Kevin Smith high or anything. I was just <laughs> so emotionally connected to what was happening to yeah, absolutely um, Thanos mm-hmm. and that beautiful scene. I couldn't stop staring at it where we had the tears rolling down and it was in the crevices of his um, wrinkled face. Mm-hmm. I'd say the anima- it took the animators forever, but they went as far to actually show the the trail line of the tear across his different ridges. Yeah, yeah. That was so beautifully done. Then seeing Gamora fly backwards, again, heartbreaking. Yeah. Although I have theories about she may not be dead, but we can discuss that later. Oh, absolutely, yeah. This character is not a villain. Well, it, like, well he's a villain, but he's yeah. not a villain. He's... He's relatable. Like he's a complex Marvel villain. Let's let's give him that. There are scientists in the world, real world as we speak, who have suggested the same thing in order for Earth to survive. Absolutely. It's a complex villain that you can understand where he's coming from. It is the Malthusian theory that um population cannot grow because of things like war, disease, famine, and so on. Um, now, there is the counter-argument to that, but nonetheless, yeah, it's absolutely uh, 
something that people advocate as to, to what should happen in order to either save the planet, save humanity, save wildlife or whatever that, yeah, human population needs to uh, reduce in some way. And if not, it will self-reduce itself through war, famine, pestilence and so on. But yeah, so... And I think that's it. Ultimately, at the heart of Thanos is something that is not distant. It's not unknown. It is something that is actually out there within um, the discourse Mm -hmm. as to how you um, prevent maybe society, humanity from collapsing or uh, from environmental collapse or or whatever. So it's really interesting uh, that that you get all this and it it, it grounds him ultimately. Um, and, And even with regards to you know, Steve Rogers and, and Tony Stark in Civil War. What side of the argument did you come down on there? Um, mm-hmm. Captain America's right. Yeah. Well, no, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but he was saying we can do whatever we want, no matter what the, the collateral damage is. So, um, ultimately, nope. every time he went off there, he was definitely killing loads of innocent people. <laughs> We're not going back to our Captain America Civil War discussion. <laughs> Go listen to that podcast. It's a, it's a good fun discussion. What Captain America wants is not to be controlled by people who could be corrupt. If you're not, if you're not, if you don't know who's at the leash, don't be on a leash, basically. Sorry, Derek. I thought we just said we're not going to go into that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But let's move on to speak about Captain America. How does that sound? Yes. On to gem number four, the Mind Stone. Vision and his forehead. Mm-hmm. Vision is the one that is kind of moving around here to escape the clutches of the Black Order from getting hold of his mind stone that is effectively fueling his being, uh, who he is uh, and the fact that he is sentient. Um, And again, I think here, Wanda and Vision together, I thought was really, really nice. You only got a hint of, of... their feelings towards one another uh, at the end of Civil War. But here we really see them uh, coming together. I really enjoyed um, Scarlet Witch and Vision and and her in particular uh, and what she was going through. You know, she's lost her brother, let's not forget, as well, mm-hmm. uh, from Age of Ultron. And here she's reconnected again with someone and she is constantly being asked by him that their moment in this world has come to an end, that he needs to be destroyed so that um, Thanos doesn't get the mind stone that is on his forehead. Um, And I loved her turmoil as to what it is that she needs to do, whether she will do it or not. And I loved that this really, I think, elevated Scarlet Witch for me um, in, in the movies the only thing I would say is it was a shame that you know, Vision was so powerful in Civil War and all of a sudden that power seemed to have retreated from him to some extent as he was on the run from the Black Order. Uh, but I really want to see more of Scarlet Witch here because, you know, ultimately she has to kill the person that she loves mm-hmm. after seeing the person that she loved in her brother, Quicksilver, um, being killed in Age of Ultron. And I thought that was a really good arc for Scarlet Witch because she is so powerful. As we've said before, probably more powerful 
than than Doctor Strange. And this is something that who knows could really set off a chain of events that you just don't know where it would take her into her own mind and her own power and darkness that could come from this. Uh, so I, I think this is a really um, little hint as to what could ultimately mess uh, Wanda up <laughs> in, in some respects. And certainly if you've got the X-Men coming back uh, into the fold, who knows where you could take that particular genesis of something that really changes her. Although that is not to say maybe that Vision is ultimately dead, um, despite what we see because Thanos has the time gem. Mm. Uh, he is able to reverse uh, Wanda's destruction of Vision that she does, uh, totally against what she um, thinks she should be doing, but at the request of Vision. So... Uh, again, it was another real kind of emotional punch for me seeing um, Scarlet Witch having to do this. Um, and we just see this greyed out husk of Vision's body uh, after Thanos then ha- has reversed time and taken the Mind Stone uh, from, from Vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the secret rendezvous in Edinburgh that they, they're, they're talking about. In the very yeah. beginning of this, when we're first introduced them, that they're they're sneaking off because they're on opposing Romeo and Juliet almost. They're on opposing sides of the civil war, and their their love is blossoming over time. Where she'll run away from Nomad and Co, and he'll run away from Tony and Co. Um, Ooh, look at you, Chris! <laughs> Making the reference that we didn't even talk about at all, Chris. I know, but we're going to get there quite soon. Don't worry. I, I love that. They, they are the Starcross lovers. Um, so this, that opening scene for these characters sets the tone for their fall from grace. No, fall from grace is wrong. The destruction of their love. Yeah. And it sets it like that you're every step of the way with these guys. You're you're literally like, oh no, but she loves him and she has to kill him. Oh my god, ah. You actually are with them step by step. You can see it. Um, Wanda's accent, I'll bring up, her accent has changed slightly Yeah. Uh, across the films, but it's, of course she, her accent's going to change. I was born in the UK and I live in Ireland. I don't have an English accent now mm-hmm. because over time your accent, you appropriate accents the characters are great what happens to vision throughout this and i I know we'll talk we could talk more about the final battle and the results of that Mm -hmm. later but while in edinburgh derek you're gonna love this one i did say there was a nomad can you clearly explain who shows up and why i'm using the word nomad (laughs) well he's not really called that because in the movie he is called captain america many many times uh, throughout this film but yeah nomad was uh, the persona that cap america took on when he hung up the shield for a time in the comic books um these are the secret avengers we've got cap we've got falcon we got black widow who are no longer working for shield no longer working for the avengers because they've been on the run since they uh, didn't sign the sokovia accords back in um avengers age of ultron uh, so these are the only three members really that are left uh, to help out vision and wanda who seem to have also joined them it feels like they have been contacted by either side of the signers and non-signers of the sokovia accords so um so yeah we're, we're 
we'll be calling him Nomad, I suppose, uh, for for these scenes, uh, as he's not really Captain America. He doesn't really hold that rank anymore, right? Yeah, I would. I would. He's yeah. not a captain. Nomad, Nomad America. How's yes. that? There we go. There we go. He is <laughs> NA. He is missing in action. He is not available. I like this. I like it. But we do have the big battle here with the other two members of the Black Order. We have uh, Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive are the other two. They're a married couple in the comic books. They're very strongly connected in the comic books, which is the reason why they get kind of annoyed at the attacks on each other, I suppose. You see them much more defensive of each other than you see with Ebony Maw and Colipsidian. You don't see much real care between the two of those, but these two characters are much closer uh, in the comic books and much closer in the film. Um but pretty strong, but not really used very much. Uh, they're kind of used as a bit of cannon fodder before Thanos arrives, I think. Yeah. Uh, good thing about Corvus uh, Glaive is that the blade that he carries, the, the staff, can penetrate anything. And mm-hmm. ultimately, when he has that in his hands, he is almost invincible. Mm-hmm. He's heavily protected when he holds and wields his blade and of course it is that blade that he tries to use here in edinburgh to take the mind stone from vision uh, from uh his head so yes again absolutely um thwarted with the arrival of uh, nomad falcon and the black widow one of the things i really enjoyed here as well is because there are so many heavyweights in this movie from thanos you know, Tony Stark, Spider-Man, Captain America, um, Doctor Strange. I absolutely adored Black Widow's fight scenes because here is someone who has no staff, has no cape, has not been injected, none of that. And I loved how she held her own against Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive in this fight in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. I was like really willing her on. It was so, so good. Yeah, yeah, really, really cool. Yeah, I, I loved the, the the step out of the shadow, just and then seeing the characters again. Um, this is up there with me for one of the best fights. I, not in this film, but across the MCU. Just because of, John, what you said, which is these are hugely overpowered supervillains in comparison to what they would usually fight. Mm-hmm. You have Cap, Falcon, and Black Widow who, again, are not the Iron Man Hulk of the universe in the Avengers, or mm-hmm. the, the Thor Odinson. You have, essentially, the humans fighting back here. Yeah. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was really, I, I really enjoyed it. I have to talk about the, the introduction of War Machine, and then where we get this piece with uh, Thunderbolt Ross. Mm-hmm. It was a good callback to the previous films, to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., to Scobie Accords, that, hey, this all did happen, and it's still happening, and you know what? The the events and the, the ramifications of Civil War did happen because this is them, and look, there's War Machine still in his leg braces yeah. because he's going to be like that forever now. Um, and the, the tension you could see, it was palpable mm-hmm. when you see Cap and the rest of them walk into this room, and then you get that beautiful... Scene where Don Cheadle just turns them off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just loved it. Yeah, totally agree. And it also gives us our insight as to where Ant-Man and Hawkeye are. Uh, so they signed the accords, but they also did a deal to be under house arrest uh, so that they don't 
uh, break the law anymore effectively by being superheroes so um, so they're off the table for this film i think a lot of surprise that hawkeye was off the table for infinity war out there but I am sure he's coming back in the next movie. Uh, I'm sure we're going to see him in the future. And Ant-Man and the Wasp is our next movie later on this summer. So um, so kind of a, a good idea, I suppose, to take them off off the table there so they can have their own event- adventure in the future. Um, there's been so many characters in this movie, so kind of nice to have some in reserve for the future, I think. Look, I know they made a joke out of Hawkeye uh, post-release. They actually did the Where's Ant-Man and the Wasp just before the Ant-Man and Wasp. Um, trailer dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, they they put out where's the man? Where's the wasp? They did all the characters did that, and then there's been this outcry from people about where Hawkeye is um, in the trailers and now in the film. Was this the right way of doing things? Um, I believe it was a good way of doing things. I think we should have got a th- a small call from Natasha to Hawkeye. Um, to Clint because of that friendship they hold and potentially going like hey that's all you would have needed you just need a transition scene and he was like no I can't do this I'm out I'm I'm with my family I think there was and I think it was cut due to time mm. um, because of what will happen now in the next film right because he will be they will be in the next film the two of them will it's a hundred percent. Okay. Uh, because I'm, I'm saying it's hundred percent. I because have no idea I could be that confident about anybody being in the next film, Chris. <laughs> not having Hawkeye here feels like a slight slap. This lessens the slap, right? And I, I don't mean. I, I feel like I'm being slightly too harsh. Yeah. But I just think they could have done slightly more. But it was fair enough what they did. Yeah, I think that's probably the first line I would cut from the script, to be honest, if there was going to be a phone call between uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye. I think it's probably the first thing you cut because it's not a scene that's required in this film. Hawkeye was really important in Avengers and was really important in Avengers Age of Ultron. But I think the way they put these characters together to have any form of impact at all from Civil War when you've got the Mad Titan coming down, snapping his fingers and killing half of the universe... You kind of have to have lines that say, well, these characters are off the table because of what happened in previous films, or else there's no point in those previous films at all. So who do you take off the table? Well, there was only two other people that were in prison at the time. One was Hawkeye and one's Ant-Man. So, you know, one's an ex-con and the other one actually did want to spend time with his family, as we saw in, in Age of Ultron. So, of course, they'd be the right characters to say, well, they're off the table. They're not going to go out and, and fight this battle because they're away and because they've made deals to be away and, and deal with their normal day-to-day life. But I do think we're going to get a bit in Ant-Man, which will explain where he is. It probably takes place around the same time as this film or even before, actually, uh, Infinity War happens in Ant-Man. Um, and I think we're going to see more of Hawkeye in the next film. I think we're going to see him back in whatever Avengers 4 t- is going to be called. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, I love Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Absolutely do. I didn't miss him, though, from this movie. And I have no idea whether he'll be in the follow-up Avengers movie. I have a f- sense that he will be. Um, you know, these were shot back to back. Um, but for this one, they, they took him off the table, but he, he's been in, uh, the others. Um, I suppose it depends how big a Hawkeye fan you are as to whether it's a slap or not. But I mean, um, it certainly at least makes sense for that character, given that we see him with his family um, at that farmstead. Um, and then he actually goes out of his way to 
help in civil war Mm -hmm. and that ultimately lands him in prison it makes sense to me that he would go i'm not risking that again if he's signed to get back to his family yeah however you know we don't know in terms of that click of the fingers did his family just get wiped out and so it puts a completely different spin on this character and i think ultimately this is a two-parter um and sometimes characters come in towards the the final acts that that make sense and by that i mean within the next three acts of the next avengers movie and so i'd be interested to see how that plays out and i think obviously then with ant-man maybe ant-man and the wasp will set up ant-man's role in a more solid way uh for that second part again i think really this is just half a film here that that's happened um and to be honest, for me, it certainly went further than I thought it was going to. I really didn't think Thanos was going to have all six gems there uh, available to him at the end of this movie, right. or indeed that he was going to click his fingers. Wow. Um, I really didn't think that was going to be the, um, the end game here right. within this movie. So for me, that was a big shock that he had collected all the infinity gems. Um, and I, I do think then that these other characters potentially come in, uh, now within the, the second, uh, film. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I suppose I want to see how they're used in this next part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to quickly return to the Mindstone, um, our point number four, uh, it, it is kind of cool that, that they bring Vision over to Shuri again, looking to Shuri, the most intelligent person on the planet who is in Wakanda, looking to her to fix this problem of Vision and the problem being caused by Bruce Banner and Tony Stark building Vision kind of badly, is what Shuri points yeah. out. <laughs> it effectively says, why didn't you just reroute it all around the gem rather than having it connected directly to it? If you connect it directly to it, it means he dies if you remove the gem. I'll do it easier. I'll do it better. Um, just going to quickly run through that side of the story because I do wonder, is there something in this? I wonder, did Shuri actually get to complete that work that she was doing on Vision. There is that moment as she's just about to be attacked by one of the members of the Black Order and she's got the computer in front of her, the screen in front of her. She's doing that fix and then she just closes it down and sends the screen away just before she gets attacked. Which just makes me wonder, did she complete the work? Is this something that we're going to see in the next Avengers film? Because Shuri's that damn good. I think you're right. I think that's what if that is going to be an element. That is how potentially the Vision will return. Definitely, yeah. Um, in a post- Finger snap, snap apocalypse, uh, snap Mageddon, uh, world. Uh, I think that is how, that's how it will work out. Mm Um, but since we discussed kind of now moving into Wakanda, Mm -hmm. it is great to see the white wolf. Yes. Coming out and being given his new arm. The door Malaje are back, the Chala and Baku. Like just everyone being there, it was great to see. And I, I don't know. I want to say that you almost split this. Um, you could split this battle mm-hmm. that we have in Wakanda into two parts. Oh yeah. The first part being, um, kind of just before, uh, the the end where all the heroes continue under that dome. Yeah, before Thanos arrives. Yes, exactly. Or and also b- before uh, a certain. Uh, now two-eyed uh, God of Thunder uh, returns. 
Um, <laughs> I loved seeing this battle. We were completely lied to in again the trailers, and um, where we saw the Hulk running behind them. Instead, we get what we discussed already, which was like Banner in the Hulkbuster armor, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I screaming at himself, going, "Oh, come out! No!" Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed that part. Absolutely, Chris. Totally agree with you. I loved seeing Rocket Raccoon and the Winter Soldier, or as you were calling him, the White Wolf, Chris. I loved seeing the two of them together. That moment where Rocket's really jealous of the Winter Soldier's gun going, how much do you want for that? And then he picks him up and spins him round as the two of them shoot in a circle very similar to the scene in Guardians of the Galaxy when you have Groot and um, Rocket doing that kind of ballet dance around the room killing loads of people around them so great to see these characters interact even if it's only for 20 seconds it's just great to have those moments who would have thought that Bucky Barnes the traveler through time who's been around since the 40s would be paired side by side with Rocket Raccoon the character from space like it's just great little moments but again as well I just love Rocket Raccoon oh I just love him so much um just that he wants Bucky Barnes's new arm. Um, and, you know, it, it really lends itself to this history of Rocket Raccoon taking things, particularly parts of people. Mm-hmm. Um, Eyeballs and arms seem to be a particular definitely, for him. Um, you know, this running gag, uh, and it's still funny for me. Um, I love he goes, oh, I'll, I'll get it. I'll have it, you mm-hmm. know, um, after they've just teamed up and they've done that uh, spin, very reminiscent of uh, him and Groot, obviously, in the prison. But also just when he gives Thor the eye and Thor puts it in, and again, he, his kleptomanism for for all things sort of anatomical in mm-hmm. some way. It was just so good. I was laughing so much at that. Yeah, yeah, really cool. So, of course, we got to, at that point, get the vision being attacked properly. Um, and the beautiful rescue uh, by Wanda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seeing her fly. Like that was just, it was just, it was brilliant. It was, it's almost like that's reminded me of the Man of Steel moment. Mm-hmm where he kind of first flies from the Fortress of Solitude and uh, getting Corvus versus Vision first mm-hmm. was really nice. And that, that the poor Vision takes a beating. He really, he really does, 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 doesn't he? I do wonder if that stab from Corvus Glaive earlier on in the film is what really diminishes his powers quite significantly. Yeah. Like as, as we mentioned, the staff that he has can stab through any metal any material so um vision has been seen as being very powerful in the past but he does get stabbed earlier on the film in in scotland so i presume that's the reason why he's so depowered in this film but we have wanda who is so much more powered in this film than we've seen in the past especially when her loved one is under threat i suppose yeah and we get called out that her powers are quite similar to that of an infinity stone Mm. That it's on the same power level, I think, was what they kind of said. Mm. I could be paraphrasing. This does show you how how powerful she can be. Yes. The probability elements, and even beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really glad we, we got that kind of final part of that scene. Mm-hmm. But gentlemen, I think it's time we talk about the big battle. The final battle, yeah. It's kind of difficult to wrap all of these up in the way we've been doing it, in just the gems and not cross over back and forth between storylines. Really, we left one huge one out, which is Thor and Rocket and Groot going off to get the new weapon, Stormbreaker. Oh, yes. Etri the Dwarf, 
the gigantic dwarf, which is played by Peter Dinklage. Um, a bit of a, a shocking moment, really, because you hear about the dwarf before they get there. Uh, you don't really expect a nine foot tall dwarf. Is there another race out there that are about 64 feet tall and just assume these people are dwarves? Is that, is that the way we've got it? Yeah. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I loved this creation of Stormbreaker. Uh, I really did. Whether I'm fully sold on Etri, played by Peter Dinklage in this, I'm not entirely sure. And that's probably just because in such a vast movie with so many characters, this is a whole new element. Um, but I loved the, the, the making of this, uh, weapon, Stormbreaker, to bring Thanos down. And I, in particular, I loved it where Groot uses his own body to form the handle of it i thought that was something special actually seeing groot do that yeah it really was and also just seeing thor and just the power that he actually does have you know as a god holding open the mechanism so that the power from this star can be used to forge uh stormbreaker was really good i really like thor in this movie i thought that balance between him being a really serious character uh, and keeping the funny, quippy side of him mm -hmm. that was certainly used in abundance in Thor Ragnarok, I thought was really, really nicely done by the Russo brothers here. It really lent him a weight, which I really like to this character. Yeah, I think we said in advance of the film that the idea of teaming him up with the Guardians, who are known as being a little bit more jokey than most of the other films, have a lot more comedy moments with them, was just a great idea. And it just works so well. Those moments with Thor and Peter Quill going going toe-to-toe -to -toe against each other, where Peter Quill's trying to play the fact that he's a much stronger character early on. And then we see Rocket stepping up, Thor has much more respect to Rocket, despite calling him Rabbit throughout the movie, which is hilarious. But he calls him the captain. He assumes that Rocket is the captain of uh, of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And, of course, Rocket's going to be really impressed with that. The one casualty, I think, right here, though, is Groot. I think Teen Groot being the sullen character who doesn't say much throughout the film, he kind of disappears into the background quite a lot. We see Rocket and Thor working together to to form the new weapon, to form Stormbreaker, but we see Groot kind of steps away from it. You don't see him very often until he has that moment where he adds the axe handle to Stormbreaker. Yeah, um, they tried to play that this going to be a sulky teenager Groot that was going to be... I was expecting a baby Groot level um, kind of of interaction, or at least the original Groot level of interaction. Mm -hmm. What I feel we got was a more halfway point, not even. Mm -hmm. Would not. It was, I don't know. I it felt he got his moment, but that was about it. Yeah, the handle was his moment, Definitely. and that's okay. Not everyone needs a huge moment. Yeah, but yeah, I just didn't feel the love. I think as one of the most beloved characters in. Guardian of the Galaxy particularly, he does feel like he doesn't have a huge amount of big moments. There is that great moment where he finally meets Captain America on the battlefield and says, I am Groot, and he gets the response of, I'm Steve Rogers uh, from Captain America, who doesn't always get the joke. So, <laughs> like that. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think Rocket Rabbit was the best. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed the characters, the callbacks to the eye, giving Thor the eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, wonder I'm trying to figure out which eye that was. He's stolen a few of them where he at least 
kind of we assume that he's taken a few of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out is this the one from the very first Ravager ship or is this a, an eye from the second film? Or a more recent one, yes, yeah. Yes, or a third. He could have a whole collection. Mm-hmm. As I said, he does seem to be obsessed with taking the eyes and arms. Uh, but it does lead them, now that they have Stormbreaker, it does lead them back to Earth. leads them back to Wakanda, where the final battle takes place. It does. And that entrance was glorious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really uh, well. Just seeing him land in the middle by his own power um, was... I Yeah. I, I was very happy with that. And what we get is this very quick scene of Thor decimating the Outriders. Mm-hmm. To, to, to he hold, like The rest of them hold their own, but he's just like, this is another scene on the bridge from Ragnarok where everyone else is fighting one or two, three, and you have Thor taking on the army. Um, but just... Yeah, I loved it. But then, and then, the Mad Titan arrives. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do really like, just a quick point, I do really like that uh, Stormbreaker can now control the Bifrost, because obviously we've lost Heimdall, who was the previously the only character that could control the Bifrost. So they have fixed that now with uh, with Thor's new hammer, or with Thor's new new, new weapon. Um, really good point. But yes, yeah, Thanos coming to Earth to uh, recover the sixth and final stone from uh, from Vision's head. Um, this is pretty brutal, but I do love the scene. I love as each of the members of Wakanda and uh, of the Guardians of the Galaxy and of the Avengers go up to attack and use every bit of their power against Thanos. And he does seem to play with them a little bit like he did with the Hulk in the past. He could have just wiped them all out with one of the stones, but he does seem to want to have a moment to just swipe them away uh, to show them how powerful he is almost. Yeah. That scene is fantastic. We get a use of every... And John, I think it was yourself who said this earlier. We get that scene where every single one of their powers on the gauntlet is used and utilized in the different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does like lend itself back to the, the fight on Titan where all of a sudden you know, Groot, Captain America... Bucky, Falcon, uh, T'Challa are all just kind of being flicked aside by Thanos. I mean, yes, you know, they're not the average person, but Thanos is kind of reveling in his power because, yes, he's not got all six yet, but each time he's gotten one, he becomes more and more powerful. Uh, And again, seeing Wanda holding him off with her power as she's there trying to say to Vision that she doesn't want to do it and him pleading with her to dissolve him and she is struggling with that whilst holding off Thanos. Now he's he's certainly inching towards her. Mm. Um but I, I love that moment. Uh, and then she kills her loved one. Um yeah. and then we we see Thanos use that time stone that Doctor Strange gave him willingly. And that's the thing. I mean I was there kind of going, oh it you know, does it feel like a betrayal from Strange to have just handed it over? Um, and, you know, he restores uh, Vision with the time gem uh, before then he goes back to him to rip out that stone from from his head. Um, yeah, it was just something special. I did like the way 
the 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 magical runes kind of came around the gauntlet as well mm-hmm. of that i thought that was pretty cool just like in dr strange yeah, yeah. that was really cool to, to speak about that i suppose this is a good point really to speak about it we did talk about it earlier on that dr strange has seen 14 million possibilities only one that he's seen will lead to the defeat of thanos but it's not necessarily that only one will lead to all of the avengers surviving so do we think he sacrificed himself because Tony Stark is the key to everything happening? Is that what he's seen in the future, that Tony Stark must live in order for Thanos to be defeated? Because that's really what the choice was. It was either yeah. allow Tony to die or give up the time stone. And he said in the past that he wasn't going to do that. Do we think that's what it was? 100%. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, am I allowed to speculate here? Mm-hmm. Should I speculate absolutely. Here We're going to speculate a little bit more uh, as we go on, I'm sure. But you can speculate all you wish, Chris. Thank you very much. Uh, this is 100% what it was. He said he saw the 14 million and there was only one possibility, but he never told him what that possibility was. Mm-hmm. I think it was that, yes, in order for in order for anything to happen, Tony must live. Mm-hmm. Him sa- saving Tony made sense. What I feel now will happen is with 50% of the universe gone, the remaining people will band together. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we will end up seeing, including Captain Marvel, will be this time displaced kind of team come together. Right. Where they will get Hawkeye, they'll have Ant Man, they'll have Cap and Iron Man, and they'll pull the the best of the best, multiple people together on a hail mary approach to reverse time. Mm-hmm. To go back to the point before the click. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to see. Um, and I, I think it's going to get really interesting to how they're going to do that. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've tried to kind of, how do you reverse time without reversing time? I think it will all kind of come down to the post credit scene and we can explain that later on. But I think the, that post credit scene and a, what that means will be the key to the next film. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting, actually, because as well, you know, Captain Marvel, she is former uh, American Air Force. She operates certainly in space. I don't know too much about the character, but yes, you have the time stone and the, the magical ability to effectively control time. But then if you think of the theory of relativity from a scientific point of view, which is where Tony Stark is absolutely involved, that idea that time and space bend and you can pass through and that you have potential wormholes uh, to be able to go back in time. Because it's interesting. I, I mean, after the movie, immediately it was like, well, is it going to just simply be that they somehow use the time stone to reverse time in some way. Right. You know, do they build another gauntlet so that they can house this to wield its power in the mm-hmm. same way that Thanos has had to create this gauntlet? Or, you know, if it is that Tony Stark is the linchpin here, he's the keystone to, to correcting everything or at least just defeating Thanos. And if it involves time, then is the, 
a more scientific explanation that can be used because that's where Tony Tony Stark is the futurist. He is the the man of the future about technology, science, and all that. So maybe along with Captain Marvel, um, given her abilities, that this is another alternative use of of time here. Maybe, um, which is I I think I, I would agree. I think that is certainly like the the linchpin for the second Infinity War movie i know it's not called that so i definitely think that this is uh the linchpin uh, of the movie um potentially you know of the next film yeah yeah, yeah. well we do know that uh atiri um, peter dinklage's character does still have the mold of the infinity gauntlet that he built for thanos um let's talk about the click because we skipped over it <laughs> the click of the fingers that destroys half of the universe uh, because there's a couple of little interesting points here and I'm going to talk about them in one second. Obviously, the killing of so many major characters is huge. But one of the things that's quite interesting is the gauntlet is broken as the click happens. So we see the lights of many of the stones start to either dim completely or go out. So has, does that mean all of the stones have now lost their power? But we do see the gauntlet, which is what Thanos has used to harness their power, has been destroyed. We see a crunching on his hand just after he clicks his fingers. So I think that's hugely important. So Thanos can't just do this again and have the same powers. He can't yes. just use all of the powers. And then he goes off and retires to the country. He wins. He has his moment where he wins and goes to live out the rest of his life on the land, knowing that his mission has been accomplished. And his mission is killing half of the universe. Yeah. And I, I mean, this is just after as well. Thor has plunged Stormbreaker into his chest. And I do like that moment where Thanos looks at him and goes, you should have uh, hit me in, in my head. Yeah. You know, or taken his arm off or something. Because yeah, Thanos ultimately manages to get the click of uh, his fingers in. Um, it'd be interesting if uh, the next film is showing Thanos and how he deals with retirement because it seems <laughs> like he's suddenly gone from this mad titan into settling down to do I don't know farming or or something like that <laughs> redecorating his his place where did he go to as well like that wasn't titan Gamora's home world he ah, said okay. uh, in the film that by killing 50% of her home world they had uh, he had saved it. They had become farmers, and it was green and lush as ever. So I think mm-hmm. that's what we got. Excellent. I was I was wondering about that. And we do also see that scene where he has a moment with Gamora, young Gamora, um, which seems to almost be like the visions that we saw in Black Panther, uh, where T'Challa is speaking to his father um, after taking the heart shaped herb. Um, is there a reason that Thanos had this particular vision? When he's in Wakanda, is there some connection there with the heart-shaped herb? Is that fed into him somehow that he's able to now speak to the now dead Gamora at her younger, as her younger self? Um, is that a reason why it's in there because it's in Wakanda? Is that a little throwback to, to Black Panther the movie? I think it's more to do with, um, and they didn't explain it well, in the comic books, anyone who was killed by the Soul Stone or sacrificed for the Soul Stone, uh, a part of them is transported to the soul stone within to within yeah. the soul stone within this realm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I believe Gamora's still alive. Her form is what he wants her to be. Okay. Um, but her consciousness, if you will, yeah. is still there, and it's in the way she asked him, "Did you do it?" Yeah. Kind of. It was very much a 
older Gamora versus what in the younger Gamora's body. Right. Yeah, that yeah. Is, that for me is absolutely uh, where you know the deaths that we see that moment of the click wave is definitely it has to be the soul world because as you say, Chris, there is that dimension within it where all the souls from that click uh, go. And of course, because she was killed to get the soul stone, her soul, as we see, is is in there where Thanos speaks to her. Interesting. Okay. I think. Right. We think. So that's what I, because I suppose we could come on to the, the deaths here that, that we see because, um, yeah, pretty much all guardians of the galaxy are wiped out here other than Rocket Raccoon. Um, you know, you've got Drax, Mantis, Groot and Star-Lord that are all taken out. Gamora already gone, obviously, um, as we saw earlier on. So all we have is, as you say, Rocket and Nebula left from the Guardians of the Galaxy now. Um, yep. They have kind of greenlit a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 film. It is coming soon. Is this actually saying that we're going to get the Sylvester Stallone-led Guardians of the Galaxy leading that film if these guys don't come back in time? Will that be the way they'll <laughs> will that be the way they'll do it? Will it be just another adventure that's previously to this moment, or will we get them all back by then? Um, it's a possibility, but I have to say just one thing before we go into this: no matter what happens in the future, I don't think it diminishes the performances of the characters oh, as no. they die and the reactions of the people around them. I mean, T'Challa dying in front of the Dora Milaje. Um, that moment is just heartbreaking after seeing, you know, a billion dollar first time franchise movie from Black Panther three months ago and going Wakanda forever. Everybody's here to go on. Uh, this will save the world. And then in a click of a finger, T'Challa, the hero of that film, just disappears into dust. It's a great moment. Yeah, that that hit for me. But there was a slightly other. There was one <laughs> other death that kind of. Oh, yeah. there was a woman nearly openly weeping in my theater. Um, I was not saying nearly; she was openly weeping at this scene. Uh, the death of Spider-Man, Peter Parker, yeah. it, with Tony. Oh, just really good, absolutely. Uh, this is for me why Tom Holland now is the best Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. This is for me why Homecoming putting Spider-Man in this universe and the, the 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 age of the character and his place within the Avengers, uh, well, as he is now an Avenger. All that, this is the reason. Because you get this scene where he's scared and the death will affect Tony beyond. They will have huge ramifications for the universe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the fact that he's channeling our favourite Doctor Who death, which is... David Tennant passing away, channeling that moment of, I don't want to go, um, is so heartbreaking for any fans of Doctor Who to see another character, beloved character in another universe, channeling that. Uh, it, it's so harsh. It's a really tough moment. Yeah, for one British actor to another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, they channeled the inner Brit. Yeah, absolutely. It was so well done. I must say, I until Homecoming, until this movie... Probably, as you'd heard from previous podcasts, I was kind of going Spider-Man. Okay, right. But I think you're absolutely right here, Chris. Um, Tom Holland has done a fantastic, fantastic job here. And that moment where he is just starting to sort of turn to dust and, and dissolve uh, and with Tony Stark and he's just like, I'm not ready to go. I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, phenomenal stuff. 
Um, I mean, yeah, this was something I was not expecting at all. And again, I, um, in the same way, as soon as Stephen Strange started to to disappear, I was like, no, oh my goodness. Um, you've not said that he's going to have a Doctor Strange 2 movie yet. So for me, I'm kind of there going, oh God, is this the end? Uh, but anyway, like it was just so, so good. Yeah. And, and obviously Wonder and Vision uh, are, are both gone as well. Yes, and Bucky as well. And obviously being the Captain America fanatic that I am, that moment when we finally have Bucky back, not crazy anymore, not controlled anymore by Hydra. He's been fixed by Wakanda. You kind of think there's going to be that moment when Cap and Bucky finally get to fight side by side, or maybe he takes up the mantle of Captain America, takes up the, the shield. Um, and yes, then he just dissolves in front of everybody else. Really, really sad moment for me. I must say that was, um, that was pretty harsh. And then like as if they are attacking Defenders TV podcast and all of our true <laughs> loves, we get to our post credit scene, which we kind of mentioned earlier on. But yes, the first ever post credit scene back in Iron Man one starred Nick Fury, my favorite comic book character telling Iron Man that the Avengers are coming together. In this final post-credit scene, we see Nick Fury and, obviously, Maria Hill, who's effectively the kind of leader beside him, standing in the street and calling on Captain Marvel. So they do that full circle thing where they have Nick Fury doing the first and last post-credit scene, and then both of them dissolve into ash. Can I just say, I absolutely love Kelby Smulders. I love Maria Hill. I'm a huge comic book fan from all of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. I love what Maria Hill has done in the comic books. Nick Fury is really special to me for all of my years of comic book reading. When Maria went, I almost kind of let out a little bit of happiness that she was the one of the two of them that was going to be gone. And then genuinely, and John will, will confirm this, I genuinely went mother as Nick Fury said <laughs> exactly the same words on screen and dissolves uh, with the Captain Marvel oh, yeah. on his uh, 90s pager. Great post-credit scene. I absolutely love that. The, the, the switcheroo, which is... I, we all thought that when she disappeared. I was like, oh, cool, they're saving Sam Jackson. Nick Fury's okay. He's going to work with the, the remaining members and they're going to fix this. And it was just like... Oh God, you're going all out. (laughs) So to explain what that is, because we've actually glossed slightly the pager. The reason we're saying Captain Marvel is the symbol that comes up on the pager is the well-known symbol for Captain Marvel, the Mm -hmm. remake now, uh, the the Carol Danvers in the comics. And that is one of the next two. That is, there's two films in between. Um, this film and whatever the next Avengers Affinity War 2.0, whatever is going to be, co- whatever it will be called, that is Ant-Man and the Wasp in August. And then uh, in early next year, we will get Captain Marvel mm-hmm. with uh, Brie Larson uh, uh, playing the title character. Yeah, and featuring Nick Fury and featuring Agent Coulson back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the first time since going off to the TV-verse. Um, really excited about that one, must yes, say. Yes, and it's set in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So this is the important thing. There's the reason it's a souped-up pager. Yeah. It is, the film is set in the 90s. We have no... That's all we know so far. It will explain where she'd been, why she wasn't called for the Avengers, why he... You see Nick Fury scramble to get this like breaking case of emergency pager. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. 
But that is, that is, we assume Captain Marvel will play a large part in the sequel. Mm-hmm. But that brings us to then our remaining characters. This was almost as shocking to me that these were the remaining characters. I think everybody had written off these four characters. Um, when talking about this movie in the past, everybody that I'm, that I'm aware of was going, we're going to have a big death here. It's definitely going to be Cap. It's definitely going to be Iron Man. Maybe Hulk should be the one to go. Maybe Thor should be the one to go. So we have Thor, Cap, Iron Man, Hulk. We've got Black Widow, probably Hawkeye, the first Avengers that came together in that round circle scene in the Avengers 1 are all still alive. That's real shocker. Yeah, I was as shocked as anyone. Yeah. I thought, if anything, they would go. Mm -hmm. We would get a new Avengers style approach in the the, the follow up, bringing some of them back, using some others. Um, Yeah, it was just. It's a shock to me, but looking at how the film has been made, the way they wrote it, the way they've directed it, trying to divine what Kevin Feige, his master plan, Mm -hmm. it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. They were there for the beginning. They are there for the end. They will be there for the new beginning. Will that require them handing off after the new beginning and things like that? Who knows? They may. The next film may kill some of them, and like I think that's the the question. The universe will never be the same, but that's one of the things they said consistently in the pre marketing for this, the pre promotion for this film is that these films will change the MCU forever. Yeah, hell, one of these films has completely changed the universe. Oh, yeah. I don't want to see how much more they're going to change it. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, obviously, of course I want to see it. But I'm like, wow. Chris will not like, be on the Avengers 4 podcast. Right? No. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be, if they go any worse, I'll be like lying in a corner crying. Uh-huh. You killed my Spider-Man and my Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, gentlemen, I think... That kind of wraps up our top five points because I can't keep thinking about all the characters they're going to kill and who's alive and how this is going to... We've got a year to wait. Yeah. So I think it's time we jump into some notes mm. before we wrap up on our defense. Yeah. Chris, we always go for the cameo of Stan Lee in the movies. Who's Where's our cameo this time? I Just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving this one to me. This was just beautiful. This was our Stan Lee, the bus driver. We've seen Dan Lee on a bus quite a few times. Mm-hmm. We saw him with Jessica Jones on the back of a bus. We've seen him on a bus in Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And now he's driving the bus. He's actually working his way up <laughs> from the back of the bus to the front of the bus. Nice. Um, but it, it was brilliant. And the line, haven't you ever seen aliens before? Yeah. Just such a Stanley. Could it have been better if he had a set of Celsius? But there's no point. It would have made no sense. But this was just as good. And... Yeah, I, I just love that. Yeah, kind of like the gag here. It's effectively just aimed at all the school kids who are born around the time of the original Avengers, right? They've, if they were 10 years younger, they'd all be four or five years old. So I think the kind of reference here is Stan Lee was around for the original attack on New York back in Avengers 1, and he's just kind of joking about the fact that uh, all of these other kids weren't around. On that bus, we also got the cameo from um, Spider-Man Homecoming as well, Chris. Yes, we did. We got Ned. And what that was spectacular. We didn't even talk about that. It was almost amazing. Yes, I've just used two titles for Spider-Man in the same sentence. <laughs> um, it's almost like I'm getting superior at this. That's three. Um, anyway, 
I can get the I can be called the ultimate. That's four. So seeing that nice little cameo was fantastic, but actually seeing his reaction to oh my god, aliens running down the back of the bus yes. and seeing Spider Man swing out that was hilarious. Was loved it. I loved it. It's effectively Peter saying calls a distraction. He goes, "We're all gonna die," which is just the reaction from Ned. It's not a distraction at all. <laughs> uh, hilarious. Really, really good. Uh, any other? Quick notes or any other notes from the movie that we haven't talked about? There's so much in this movie I know that we uh, have to unpack them. But, um, John, any other notes? Uh, I just really wanted to mention about Star-Lord and Thor trying to compete in terms of their manliness. I thought that was quite a, a good, uh, funny moment uh, between these two. And certainly with Rocket kind of coming and going like, no, that guy... That guy's more manly th- than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was that was really good. Um, and the other thing is that you know Nebula is still alive as well, um, and she's still got a thirst for rage uh, and for vengeance against Thanos here, especially what has been done to her. Um, so you know, I'm wondering to what extent Nebula has a potential future role as well, because um, certainly. Again, from the Infinity Gauntlet run, uh, the six-issue series uh, by Jim Starlin, she looks to use the gauntlet again. So it'll be interesting. Or maybe it was from Hickman's Infinity, but certainly um, she has a potential role here. And she is still very much alive Mm. and pretty, um, how should I say it, pissed. Peed off, yeah. 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 I just wanted to call out one quick point, and that is the introduction to the Invisible Man. Excuse me, sorry, Drax. This fantastic <laughs> scene where he goes, I, I know it was terrible humor. It was hilarious. But it, was, it was just hilarious. It was just, That was so good. I am moving so slowly, you cannot see me. <laughs> but I'm just even the timing of how long you in there? A while. I just, I was kind of hoping they'd make some cutaway joke. Or not even joke to show that at one point he stops moving and he just disappears. Uh-huh. And it's like, hey, he got a new power, actually. <laughs> and it's just because he wasn't, he didn't stop moving. I wanted that. But then seeing Mantos there, yeah. Fantastic scene. Lovely note. Absolutely no basis in comics. But it's still such a good uh, gag. I have to say, watching the movie, I love that the Russo's took the moments out to make these character moments for uh, people like Drax, you know, that, that that moment could have easily landed on the cutting room floor. But fans of the Guardians of the Galaxy that came to this movie for the Guardians of the Galaxy want to see Drax do some fun stuff like that. And I don't think he had any other moments in the film like that. So I love the choice that they had to do those. Um, one of the notes for me, which probably led to quite a significant conversation or a fun conversation uh, with us. It was just quite interesting to see that we had obviously five stones and we have quite a few heroes left. Uh, at the end of the movie. Um, just a thought that maybe will the five main heroes that we all thought were at least one of them was going to die in this film, will they sacrifice themselves in place of the stones and then Thanos sacrifice himself in place of the sixth stone? So, for example, this is where I came from. Um, will Cap America sacrifice himself to bring back Bucky, Thanos to sacrifice himself to bring back Gamora, Thor for Asgard, or Loki, uh, his brother, and Heimdall? Will Banner possibly try and get rid of the Hulk by sacrificing himself? And would Stark sacrifice himself for Peter Parker? Is that where we will lose the five main heroes and Thanos in the next movie? What do you think? I love that because some of their photos are on the promotion material in the stones. Right. Yeah. And one of them was like Tony Stark was in the Soul Stone. And we were all like, what the hell has he got to do with the Soul Stone? I don't get it. Mm. 
I was asking that. Mm-hmm. That could make sense. Yeah. That could be like foreshadowing well in advance. And now we'll look back and go, oh my God, they told us all along. I love that. I love that idea. And I think as well, Thanos potentially can switch sides. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Again, from the Infinity Comics, um, no, really good moment with Doctor Strange, who we, we've seen Thanos go into the soul world, if that is truly what it is, with young Gamora at the end. So even though he isn't dead, he has some ability, at least through the gauntlet when he clicks his fingers, to be able to go to the soul world. Mm. And within that dimension, then um, Doctor Strange from the comics, does get to know about Thanos and persuades him to ultimately try and gain back the gauntlet from Nebula, who is still alive. So there could be an interesting arc there with Thanos. Again, adding probably to the complexity of this character. Um, you know, And we saw how much it hurt him to throw Gamora off the side of the cliff in mm-hmm. order to get the Soul Stone. So that's kind of really really interesting and it kind of lends us back to um yeah how can that soul world potentially be breached if all the souls have gone there i mean again is it going to be captain marvel and um, doing something with time uh breaching it is it ant-man and the wasp with using pin particles uh, and being able to get into and breach the soul world and um, or indeed um adam warlock uh, was the kind of leader, master of the soul world. Right, and we did see comics. that that bit from the post-credit scenes of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 where Adam Warlock is on his way to the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. So, uh, yeah, that's really interesting thoughts, John. Or is it a combination of all of them? Like, uh, I'm really intrigued as to how they're going to bring back maybe some or all of those that died from the result of the click. You know, there is that kind of idea that maybe there are pre-click deaths where it's going to be difficult for them to come back. Although, again, you know, we were saying Gamora has that route through coming out of the soul dimension Mm -hmm. or soul stone. Um, And then there's the post-click deaths. Are they really deaths? You know, it was still done so, so well. And that if you are going to bring them out, there's got to be some kind of sacrifice for it. So I like this idea of the sacrifice for the souls. Yeah, yeah, really intriguing. And of course, we do all hope that we see most of our heroes back uh, by the end of the next Avengers movie, because uh, it'll be a quiet universe if half of it's gone. On that <laughs> note, John, do you defend Avengers Infinity War? Yes, I do defend Avengers Infinity War. My out of five really gave me mathematical conundrums here, uh, a bit like Captain Marvel, probably, and Tony Stark. Um, but I'm giving this five clicks of Thanos' fingers out of five, which is an awful lot of deaths involved <laughs> in that five clicks of his gauntlet. Um, so, yeah, yeah, down to one-fifth, I suppose. <laughs> probably less, actually. But certainly... Um, but one fifth to one fifth does mean it's exactly a full score. So the highest rating you can possibly yes, give, I think, is it is the right? highest rating. Absolutely loved the movie. Um, 
so meaningful in so many ways that I wasn't expecting coming into this. As I said, I didn't even think he was necessarily going to have collected uh, all six of the Infinity Stones, mm. to be honest. Um, so that was a surprise. I loved the balance of, of fun from the Guardians and Thor, uh, from the interactions of Doctor Strange and Tony Stark. Really, really good, right through to the absolute seriousness and, and heart tugging emotion of Gamora and Thanos from seeing Spider-Man die uh, in in the arms of Tony Stark, seeing my favorite character getting dissolved off the face of the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things were just so, so good. Um, I really felt that Star-Lord and Gamora as well, along with Wanda uh, and the Vision, I just felt there was so much meaning to uh, those situations that they're in in terms of Wanda trying to sort of weigh up whether to kill Vision like he was asking or to try and save him from Thanos' grip uh, to Star-Lord having to make that choice as to whether or not to shoot Gamora because she knows where the soil stone is. So, so many different things and with such a cast it was um, fan, fantastic. For me, I really just thought Thanos was amazing, really. And I really want to see him, uh, and his story in, in the next Avengers. Or, you know, Thanos is back, as we saw, or Thanos will be back. Um, so seeing him there sort of enjoying his mission accomplished, I think be interesting to see how he's now brought down from this uh, and how that plays out and be so good and um, so yeah for me this delivered on so much stuff it was great seeing dr strange and, and tony stark um, and again i do think that we're in the end game um just a great line between Stephen and tony uh, as to what that means and then the post credit scene seeing captain marvel sign there on the pager so many things. How are they going to defeat Thanos? Are they going to reverse what's happened? Who's dead? Who's alive? Like, we could talk about this forever. So absolutely defend Avengers Infinity War. Excellent. And yes, you're right. The first Marvel movie to have finished with the villain will return, but not any of the heroes being mentioned. Thanos will return uh, in the next movie. Chris, do you defend Avengers Infinity War. Yes, I do defend this movie. I will defend this to my dying breath. Is it the most ambitious crossover ever done? I think yes. Some people argue, but I think yes. This film is a culmination of the MCU, and it's not over yet. Like It's still going to go. The way they handled so many characters, the way they handled the storyline, the way they threaded everything. They gave everyone the, they gave everyone what the, what they wanted. They gave you a Spider-Man beat. They gave you the Doctor Strange. Every, no matter who in the MCU you liked, you saw some form of them and most likely got a chunk of time with them. Mm-hmm. We got all the teams. And I think that shows the power of the MCU, shows the power of um, what can be in cinema. Some people still don't know like about Infinity, like the general public 
will not always know that there will be an Infinity Wars Part 2. Mm. So to these general public, all they says is Thanos will be back, and by the way, you were ending on a bummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that is ballsy in today's day and age. And it shows how filmmakers, uh, and in particular Kevin Feige and, and the, the Russo brothers, are taking a beat from comic books. Typically, they it was always going to be, we would make a movie version of a comic book. Mm-hmm. Now they're making a comic book version of a movie. When you end on cliffhangers, you have to wait a period of time before you see what happens in the next issue. And like this, these are ballsy moves, yeah. which are translating into big books. Yeah. And I think that's the core. Is the superhero fatigue here? No. Will it ever? Maybe. I, am I happy? Yes, because this gave me what I wanted. It gave us all what we wanted, I think. Mm-hmm. And it did it well. That is all I can say. I could probably talk for another hour on why I defend it, but I don't think we can spend that much more time. <laughs> so on that, Derek, do you defend Nick Fury? I mean, sorry, uh, Avengers <laughs> Infinity War. I absolutely defend this movie. This is hugely ambitious, as you said, Chris. And and throughout talking about the movie, we have focused on the characters. We've focused on the character interactions there. The people at the, at the heart of this film, the people that have been crafting this type of film for many, many years, just have done a brilliant job. The directors, the writers uh, on this movie particularly crafted such a well-put-together story to allow all of the characters to breathe, to allow everybody to get their moments, to allow most people not to walk out of the cinema disappointed. The two people that I think are going to be disappointed, sadly, are the five- and six-year-olds that went to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and 2 and love Groot and expected to see Groot be really central to this plot. He isn't, unfortunately. And the people that lined up around the block to see Black Panther. I do feel that those are the people that are going to be disappointed. Wakanda's used really, really well in this film, but I think because the movie was being made around the same time or pre-release to Black Panther coming out in the cinema, I don't think they realised that the world would embrace those characters so much. And to have T'Challa fall apart at the end of the movie, I honestly was expecting like riots in some cinemas uh, at the idea that the next movie kills off Black Panther. Um, But yes, so well put together, maybe really excited to see what's coming up in the future. As I say, the idea that some of the deaths are going to be reversed didn't take away from how well they were performed on screen and the reactions of the characters around them. Yeah, I absolutely got a couple of tears in my eyes at losing characters in there and not knowing who will come back in the future. We may only get one of those characters back in the future and somebody has to decide who. I don't want it to be one of my characters not coming back. Um, really enjoyed it. Absolutely loved it. It's really, really good to talk about. And I've been talking about it for five days now before even recording the podcast. So, uh, yeah, it, it's one that's going to go on and I'm going to really enjoy going to see it again, I think. That's our defense. Let's get on to our feedback, guys. Our first piece of feedback is some voicemail from Adam over at I Am Your Target Demographic over on YouTube. Hey, all. This is Adam from I'm Your Target Demographic. Uh, I just wanted to talk about the Red Skull because I think it was super cool that they brought him back. And I think it opens up a lot of doors for the future of you know, who are villains that kind of disappeared, what are plot lines that maybe didn't go anywhere. Uh, in this show that they're really willing to bring someone back. Uh, and, you know, even if it's just a cameo, they're they're kind of honoring that continuity. Uh, and I thought that was really cool. It's a super bummer that Red Skull is now just, I guess, stuck on that planet without uh, any sort of job or mission. Um, but I guess that's the price you pay for being a evil Nazi. So 
Thanks. What are your thoughts? Thank you so much, Adam, for that uh, feedback. Uh, we've talked about Red Skull being on the planet and how much it was great to see him again. I think what we see here is the fact that if he is alive and other heroes will come back um, for potentially from the, 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 from the death, from the dusting, why will not villains be returning as well? Mm. So Killmonger is dead. Will he potentially return because they turn back time and like it opens up a world of possibilities when we're talking about the, the these Infinity Stones and time wibbly wobbly, etc. <laughs> uh-huh. So yeah, no, happy to see it. Uh, it wasn't Hugo, but the actor Ross McCann who plays him from The Walking Dead, I think he did a fantastic job. Yeah, definitely. He's known for a few accents, and yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, so thank you so much, Adam. Yeah, and it's interesting to think which villains got dusted, um, mm-hmm. you know, on top of the other 50% of humanity and in the universe. Like, so, yeah, really interesting stuff. And, yeah, great to see Red Skull back, for sure. Yep, next piece of feedback comes in from Ray over on the Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. Hi, Derek, John, and Chris. This is Ray from Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. And um, I just wanted to drop in some thoughts about Infinity War. Um, I think I am on the same wavelength as pretty much everyone else on this planet in saying that it was a fantastic film. I don't think since uh, maybe in 2000 when the X-Men premiered or, uh, or Iron Man in 2008 or indeed the Avengers have I been this excited, possibly even more excited as well. Uh, it was just a fantastic film. There were so many different little bits that you can kind of nit nitpick and uh and take apart and and analyze but um what i found really most enjoyable was uh, the depiction of thanos i think by far the best mcu villain ever uh there was just so much empathy for him and for a cgi character uh, you kind of really get that uh also the performances from everyone else um in particular i loved um chris pratt as star lord and gamora um they were both uh, really, really fantastic. Um, and I found uh, Star-Lord a really, really nice comic relief. Um, there was really good humour in there as well. Uh, yeah, but overall it was just a, a fantastic film and it left us with our jaws hanging on the ground. So, <laughs> um, yeah, really good. And um, I don't know, I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys say, but uh, this is a near-perfect film for me and it exceeded my expectations by a long, long way. Um, look, also as well, realistically, uh, I'm sure there are there were little bits here and there that you could be really kind of critical of. Uh, but uh, look, they they just were just overshadowed by the great performances, the great action uh, sequences, and absolute hats off to the Russo brothers. They proved that they did it with Civil War, but they um they kind of cut their teeth on that, and they showed us that they can deliver a massively large ensemble cast and work really well and give everyone enough screen time. Uh, yeah, so just looking forward to, already looking forward to Avengers 4, um, but I think I'll be seeing this uh, Infinity War movie again. Um, it won't be the last time uh, in the cinemas for sure. So, um, yeah, really good. Uh, other points, I guess, uh, would be... Um, I guess the Hulk was was very um, was a surprise actually, uh, and 
um, I really did love Vision and, and Wanda, their relationship. Um, I think maybe is it a potential to, to sow the seed there and have Wanda start to break down from the trauma? Uh, and could we see a House of M? Uh, we don't know. We'll have to see. But anyway, thanks a lot, guys. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to listening to the podcast. See ya. Thanks so much for those thoughts, Ray. And yeah, I suppose there are things you can nitpick about this. This absolutely isn't everybody's film. We know that. We're we're Marvel fans. Uh, we're people that love these types of movies. So it's definitely pitched within our wheelhouse. Yeah, it was a film that absolutely exceeded expectations. Uh, for me, yeah, depiction of Thanos. Uh, thank goodness um it was so well done i mean josh brolin uh not since Gollum probably have we had a cgi character that has delivered so much <laughs> um completely agree fantastic film um with so many great interpersonal relationships just being explored and everyone getting their moment and then having the fun having the great action uh, it all knitted so well together. Yeah, thanks, Ray. Definitely agree with a lot of your points there. Over on Facebook, Kale Hensley had this to say, one of my all-time favorite Spider-Man moments was in this movie. When Stark told him he's officially an Avenger, Peter's reaction is so perfect. Like, excited at first, then determined, so freaking good. The real question is, what minor characters got dusted? I'm betting Hawkeye's whole family and Pepper Potts. Harsh, Kale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, a lot of minor characters. Well, at least 50% of the minor characters in all the films got dusted. Mm -hmm. We can say that at least. <laughs> um, yeah, who knows? I'm thinking Hawkeye's whole family as well. But yeah, me too. We discuss that. And Pepper. Pepper's a goner. In terms of uh, Peter's reaction, I'm right there with you. Again, we've already talked about how great Tom Holland is. And I think that's, again, this is another standout moment in his performance in this film. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, no, really good. Yeah, Mike in Cleveland says, when does Avengers 4 Return of the Jedi come out? <laughs> nice little reference to uh, to the Empire Strikes back of this. But remember, in Empire Strikes Back, the Empire didn't actually win completely. They weren't the winners. There was still a band of rebel troops out there. In this, he snaps his fingers and kills half the universe. So I think Vader versus, uh, versus Thanos, I think Thanos wins, right? Uh, um, yes, Thanos wins. Probably. <laughs> Mike also says, and any thoughts on how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. should, would, could react to this movie? Will the Defenders feel the effects? Is Luke Cage Season 2 pre or post-Infinity War? Um, for me, I think Luke Cage Season 2 is definitely pre-Infinity War. We're not going to see any impact at all, I think, on any of the Netflix shows, unless they're going to cancel them in a couple of months' time. Uh, there was a small reference to um, Infinity War on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where we had a moment with uh, Sky. This is not a spoiler if you haven't watched the episode, I promise. Uh, we have a moment with Sky talking to another character uh, where the other character says to her, have you seen all the crazy things happening in New York? And she says, no, I don't watch the news. It gives me headaches. So the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. do not know about what's going on in Infinity War, but it does put the timeline of the current season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at around the point where there's the attack on the Sanctum Sanctorum in New York. So they don't have long left before the ripple effects start to uh, start to hit those characters. I'm with you in here. I think potentially, if it is and it will be uh, mentioned more, it, the, the the dusting, the snap apocalypse could happen at the end of uh, this season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then it is 
they potentially will hold off the premiere of the next season if it gets one yeah. um, before the, the next film next year. Well, that's the huge problem because if Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. comes back for a season six, it will start in October of next year. This movie isn't out until summer of the following year. So if they do something significant connecting into Infinity War, they will have to explain it away before Infinity War 2 or Avengers 4 explains it away. So I don't think they're going to have a big tie-in. I think it's all going to happen in the summer in between the two. <laughs> Can I just say they went to, into the future and went to space? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There is a multitude of ways that they can get around it and explain it away. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, oh no, we managed to just half the world disappearing, run into this bubble, this warp. Uh, it, it's fine. Uh, I'm ho- hopefully they will connect. Hope potentially. Dave Horrocks over on Facebook had this to say. Honestly, I thought the movie was awesome. People reference Empire because of the way it ended, but even Vader didn't have such an apparent clear upper hand. In my honest opinion, this is the best comic book based movie to date. And they've raised the bar again. Completely agree. And that's kind of what we said and uh, Derek said in the, the, the last point, Dave. Uh, but yeah, thank you. Yep. Completely agree, uh, Dave. This was a really awesome movie, fun action and heartbreak. Um, for those personal comic book characters that are your absolute favorite or second favorite or third favorite, <laughs> uh, plus, um, just, yeah. Vader probably wouldn't stand a chance, but I, I don't want to cross reference, uh, iconic <laughs> movie, uh, genres here. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, this is one of the best comic book based movies, uh, to date. Tina Brown says, I really liked it, but won't know if I loved it until part two comes out. I know Marvel says it's not part two, but the way I see, it is, of course it is. Unless you think we are not going to get sequels for a bunch of new characters, this is definitely part one. The first time I read a book or see a movie, I have been known to skip forward if the story starts to drag to see what happens. Typically, the second read view is when I pick up on everything else, and I don't feel like I got an ending on this one yet. But they laid down some excellent tracks, was so happy to see everyone getting up to speed fairly quickly so the story could progress, was afraid that would take a long time, loved the various groupings, and satisfied with the villain, which is a huge step up. While not quite up to the level of Killmonger or Killgrave, Thanos was light years ahead of most of the previous villains, and I think part two will benefit enormously from a trimmed-down cast. (laughs) Yes, uh, it certainly will be a trimmed-down cast. Uh, And the few characters I felt who got a little bit rushed past survived, so I think they'll have more chance to be seen in part two. Bruce Banner, Black Widow, Nebula, and of course Hawkeye. I'm calling it now. Black Widow being in trouble will bring back the Hulk. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Tina. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I I think there's so much more to this story still to come. And like any good story, it normally comes in two or maybe three parts. Um, You know, think Lord of the Rings. Think the original Star Wars trilogy. Uh, I think, you know, this really is a fantastic movie in its own right. And I think it will probably get better when Avengers 4 comes out or part two of Infinity War for sure, uh, because I think that will also provide so much more context uh, to 
what happened in this movie. And I think in particular for me around Doctor Strange and Tony Stark, and of course, even with Nick Fury and, and that pager in the post credit scene, again, probably one of the most important post credit scenes uh, we've had since Nick Fury said the Avengers initiative at the end of Iron Man 1. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, completely agree. And, and I, I think, yeah, Thanos, fantastic villain here. Uh, definitely, I think for me, certainly up there with Killmonger and Kilgrave for sure, uh, but for different reasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very different character. Great thoughts there, Tina. Just remember, it's only one year to the next Avengers movie. Not like when uh, people had to watch Empire Strikes Back and had six years to go between the, that and the next movie. So we don't have to wait very long. Uh, Lisa Richardson over on Facebook says, I don't recall ever being in a theater where an audience first started gasping and then screaming and shouting in horror at a movie. While we know some of the dust people aren't dead dead because of announced sequels, it doesn't take the pain from seeing Spider-Man dying away. Yeah, absolutely, Lisa. Uh, Or Doctor Strange. (laughs) Or Nick Fury. (laughs) Or Bucky. Oh, God, it was a tragedy. Really was. Fellow defender Salim Kisler had this to say. I certainly had a few issues with it, but overall, awesome movie. My heart was legit pounding at times. It had some great Marvel moments, Red Skull, and plenty of funny moments. Thor speaks Groot. (laughs) I loved the interactions between the characters meeting for the first time, and that ending was just gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. Can't wait to see how they fix it. Oh, and Loki going out a good guy was cool. Rest in peace, Loki and Himadon. I don't believe we've seen the last of anyone else. But he does believe we've seen the last of Loki and Heimdall. Yeah, the question does become, was anyone who was dead pre-click, are they still dead when the click is reversed? Who knows? We have to wait and see. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, Loki going out a good guy we talked about at the beginning of this podcast was absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you, Salim. Claire Payne on Facebook also says... I don't think I have ever had a tear roll down my face during a superhero movie. Avengers Infinity War delivers for beyond expectation on the humor, emotion, and action. Mm -hmm. Tom Holland needs to do as many Spider-Man movies as possible. I love him in this role. A great new suit, and the way he clung onto Tony Stark before he disappeared into dust was heartbreaking. What really impressed me about this movie was how well all the characters were balanced and interacted with each other. Thor with Rocket and Groot was genius. Peter Dinklage as Itri was a great addition to this film in forging Thor's axe. Thor calling Rocket a rabbit throughout was consistently amusing in just how he got away with it. Then again, Rocket was made captain. (laughs) Also, where was Ant-Man? Claire also wants to know (laughs) if John, i.e. me, likes Thanos now. I do. Yes, Claire, thank you so much for the feedback. And I can confirm I do like Thanos now. Yeah, there was just something about those post-credit scenes where he was just sat on the throne. He didn't feel menacing enough, but wow, did he become (laughs) menacing in this movie. Um, So much, and not just menacing, but complex. Very much in in the same way that Kingpin in in Daredevil Season 1, but also he's just so complex. Uh, you know, reminded me of 
um, Killmonger in Black Panther, you know, very different motivations as to what he wanted to do and why he wanted to do it compared to maybe what the consensus was. And similarly, I think with, um, Kingpin in Daredevil season one, uh, just really complex character brought to life. Absolutely loved it. Um, I think as well, Tom Holland has really done a service to Spider-Man movies uh, and really uh, invigorated that character for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much, Claire, Absolutely. for the feedback. Yeah, and, and where was Ant-Man? Well, the new trailer's out now for Ant-Man and the Wasp. We've seen it earlier on today. And, yes, we do know he's under house arrest after the Sokovia Accords. That's why he wasn't allowed to go on any of the missions with any of the team, the Secret Avengers or any of the groupings. So uh, we'll see a lot more of him. Uh, as the next movie comes out, out and Matt and the Wasp. Uh, Robbie O'Neill says, I've been avoiding this thread while I waited to go and see it. Visually, it was fantastic, and the storyline was brilliantly tied together with all the elements. But knowing about how it was going to pan out left me assuming that the only way Doctor Strange would willingly give up the Time Stone was that out of the 14 million or so ways it was going to pan out, there was this was the only one way they could win. Yeah, seemed to be on the same page there, Robbie. Yeah, no, exactly, Robbie. I, I, I can't wait to see... Where everything is resolved, Doctor Strange walks out of the mist again, turns to Tony and goes, ah, I see we won. Mm -hmm. I was right. And that kind of like, magic is better than science, bro. Ah." (laughs) I think that would be just fantastic. Yeah, really, really cool. Or they will ultimately become face hair bros um, and start the Illuminati. Mm -hmm. Yes. Christine Hall over on Facebook said this there is so much to say about this movie one thing i was extremely bothered by was the lack of hawkeye as an original avenger he 100 percent should have been in this film even if it was for a few minutes even if it had been scheduling conflicts hawkeye should have been in this movie period christine thank you so much i'm in agreement with you this movie he should have been there make hawkeye great again And he will be. He will be in part two of this two-part movie. Mm-hmm, I agree. I'm absolutely convinced. And it will be because his entire family has just uh, turned to dust in their farmstead. Or every single one of his friends has turned to dust uh, over in Wakanda as well. But certainly, Christian, I can absolutely understand why um, people wanted to see Hawkeye in this movie, in this first parter, uh, because, yeah, he was one of those original Avengers and um, he got a slight reference. So I can definitely see uh, what you you mean here for sure. Uh, Sylvie Carboneau, um on Facebook goes, can I mention the end credit scene? Looks like Carol Danvers is on her way to save the day. I can't wait to see her in action. Fingers crossed Captain Marvel will be part of the next movie. So will Hawkeye, probably using his alias Ronin. I loved the movie. I think everyone here has good points. Yeah, Sylvie, thank you so much. I definitely think uh, Carol Danvers is on her way. And yeah, I think she may have a really integral part to play to save uh, the situation that has come across. And yeah... I'm really hoping that Hawkeye uh, is part of the the next movie as well. He is a great character, one of my favourites, and certainly uh, I think it will be good to see him. Interesting you call out the alias Ronin as well. Yeah, whether we see him there as that, because we do now know that he has signed the Sokovia Accords. So, yeah, this could be his... um, 
his alias. Could be his way around the Segovia yeah. Accords. Yeah, really good. Really good. Um, our final piece of feedback came in from Jim Carrey over on our Facebook group as well. He says, I looked at the scores of t-shirts in advance of the movie. The graphics grouped the characters into teams. I wondered how this would develop in the story. I imagined they were going to have to mass meeting early in the movie and divide out each team to a stone. I'm so happy it happened organically instead. I don't like two-dimensional super baddies like Ronan, for example. And I've heard some fans raving how great it was to have Thanos being rounded out. In a movie with so much killing, the humanization of Thanos, making him not just understandable, but almost sympathetic, I thought was overkill. The whole benevolent purifier angle does not fit with the evil grimace or the short-tempered titan we've seen so far. If you're going to develop a character with post-credit glimpses and glances over years, how do you slap him in a tux and make him genteel? Having freshly read the comic story for the first time, Thanos the grandiose, power-hungry madman felt like a chaotic threat, like a shark or a disturbed grizzly bear. With obvious pride comes before a fall vibe. Now, despite the humanization of Banner and Vision and Cap and no masks, no helmets characters, Thanos is the most developed and humanized. Mm, maybe I'll feel different upon second view- viewing, but Rabbit officially outranks Trash Panda. I chuckled every time Thor said it. Thanks so much, Jim. I think we've mentioned on the podcast, really liked this version of Thanos, liked that they gave him some different motivation uh, in this movie. Something kind of understandable, uh, as we said earlier on. Um, I don't think he's the most humanized. I think there's been a lot of work done on people like Banner and on Vision. But it's nice to have him humanized and not just the evil villain that you've seen in, in millions of movies before, you know. I think it was a really good choice of the writers to do that for the character. And yes, I laughed every time Rocket was called Rabbit as well. <laughs> really good. Thanks so much for all the feedback and for listening to the podcast uh, all about Avengers Infinity War. Yes, you can contact us through our website, through voicemail, join us on Facebook over on email. Why not come to our thread over on the group on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast and tell us what you thought. Couldn't get your, your feedback in on time? Don't worry, just go over and put it in the mega thread where we're discussing Avengers Infinity. We want to hear from you. Also, don't like our theories, don't like our ideas, tell us yours. So come on over and let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. You can, of course, subscribe over at DefendersTVPodcast.com for slash iTunes and any good or evil Thanos or Avengers, uh, Black Order or Guardians of the Galaxy affiliated podcast catchers. Absolutely. And remember, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you can get a month free of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com slash premium and using our code Defenders. Uh, There you can listen to the excellent Wolverine of the Long Night, the first official Marvel podcast. We'll be back for our next Marvel movie because we're on a bit of a break from Marvel TV. Uh, back with our next Marvel movie, Deadpool 2, as we mentioned, on uh, which releases on May 18th. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your podcast catcher of choice at DefendersTVPodcast.com. And we're going back for the Netflix universe on the 22nd of June with Marvel's Luke Cage Season 2. Really looking forward to this this summer. This has been the biggest year for Defenders TV podcast so far. Looking forward to some great stuff to cover as we get into the rest of the year. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow Defenders. Thank you so much from your friendly neighborhood, Chris Jones. Yes, as always, thank you so much for listening. It's really been a pleasure uh, speaking about this massive movie with you. Uh, and of course, uh, we will speak with you again next time. Jimmy Chunkers. Hori Hosts. Bye.